Connection Podcast Network listeners, welcome back into the Wrestling War Zone, a Monday Night Wars podcast retrospective series. I'm JT, and join me as always, as is my partner on the show, Chad. Chad, how are you? Doing good. Took a little summer break. Uh, skipped an episode, but back at it. Uh, as of this recording, kids go back to school tomorrow. So that is crazy. Happening. Summer's is over. Well, I went back uh, yesterday down here. So August 1st, but yeah, for us, it's August 3rd, yeah. It's always mind-blowing to me that summer ends as uh, in early August yeah. down there. Yeah, we have, it's it's really just June, July. It's like Memorial Day weekend till June and July. That's wild. Uh, was at the uh, Redneck Riviera last week, Panama City, got an update on a uh, little WCW tie-in, Club Avila. Oh, I like it. Looking very rough. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been closed now for a few years. Uh, even like uh, about a year before COVID. Um, they kept saying they were coming back or remodeling, but I think COVID kind of put the kibosh on that. Uh, now it, it looks very rough, and they actually have to post uh, security uh, so people don't trespass. So it, it'll be interesting because it's, it's a real... Like, if you ever go down to Panama City Beach, it's Club La Vila and this other uh, adult nightclub called Spinnaker. They're right next to each other. A lot, I mean, and both of those are very prime real estate. I'll say, what, is it an investment opportunity for us? I mean, there's definitely something in the next 10 years that will bulldoze that and probably build a North condo. South Connection presents Club La Vila Part 2.0. <laughs> You can still sit. So we uh, did take a boat um, on the Gulf, and we rode down the Gulf side of the Strip. And you could see like the back of Club Avila when mm-hmm. we went past it, and you could see like the pool area and stuff. But I'm sure it's drained and everything. But yeah, it's 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 uh it's pretty sad. It looks pretty. Get sad on the horn now. with Tony Khan. Why aren't they buying that shit from doing some <laughs> dynamite from there? That would be cool. I mean, that definitely would be cool, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, I would guess in the next 10 years, it's going to be a condo called like Surf Winds or some crap, so, because it's, it's definitely uh, prime real estate, I mean, it's a huge area, comparatively, so, no, that's my I think Tony Khan should buy it, make it a, revamp vamp the club and have like a couple of dynamites here or there. That's that would be cool. If you want to be the spiritual successor to WCW, you got to go all in. I need to find a place because, you know, they only did Club of the, uh, the last two years. They went somewhere else. I can't remember exactly which resort it was. It was on down the beach. Right, like, right. Like Club of Vila is right on the strip. Like Club of Vila was right in the action when the peak uh like mtv spring break and all that like great location so 2000 they went to uh south padre island in texas it says right yeah to the last nitro it said a different 
for it's not oh, a oh, the O one. Yeah. The three twenty six O one. I don't know if it'll say. Let's see if we can find it. Uh the Boardwalk Beach Resort in Panama City Beach. Yeah, I don't know what the hell that is. Or what that is now. Oh, they gotta get one dynamite down there somewhere. So we go back on August thirty first here. So we still got a ways to go. Yeah. But even that seems soon. It's crazy. Like, you know, football, time this air, it's already have, would have the Hall of Fame game. Like, so that's like coming fast. Yeah. Well, you had your big tryouts. Now you got to live up to, are you going to be a dynasty or collecting <laughs> pan on the softball side? <laughs> well, so that, the tryout was for the, uh, the travel squad, which I would not, mm. I would, probably would not be coaching. I would just be a, a standard parrot. But I am going to uh, resume my post as the top assistant uh, to the same head coach for the fall rec league. That's that was settled. I was waiting to hear. I had signed up, and I was waiting to hear from her if she was going to coach again. And I got the word today that she's going to. She put into coach and requested me to be the assistant again. So, uh, so we're we running back. it back. We're going to run it back. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> It's exciting though. It's a fall ball. Looking forward to maybe not having to stand out in the baking sun in like ninety degree weather. So Yeah. We're moving to soccer for fall. So Yeah, I gotta look into that. Alex was saying he wants to play. We're taking fall baseball off. I think he needs a break from it. I think he was it's a little too slow for him right now. So I don't want him to like fully end up hating it, you know. So I'm gonna take a break. Break from the fall for him and then we may try soccer. I've been very excited. Like in the past month, you know, Caden, he's like playing baseball, but really in the past month, he started watching and mm-hmm. now he knows all the Braves players and he's That's also good. gotten into baseball cards and yep. he loves playing the show on Switch. So it's it's been a not since he got into wrestling when he was like five have I been this excited in one of his interests. So it's it's been a, we're we're riding the wave. I don't know how long this will last, but I'm Still enjoying that fire. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been I've been digging it so far. All right. Well, let's see if we uh, enjoy this episode of Nitro tonight. There we talk go. about that. October fourteenth, nineteen ninety six. Yeah. From the legendary Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah, cool cool venue for them, I think. Kind of caught me off guard. I was like, oh, all right. That's a neat, <laughs> yeah. neat spot. Yeah. Tony Larry, welcome us in. Larry says, Elizabeth is turning Randy Savage to an emotional vegetable as we get a replay of the closing <laughs> of last week's show. Tony says yeah. the NWO have now reached their lowest point. Larry blames Liz for Savage not being focused and that it's all on him to get the WCW title back from Hollywood Hogan. So Larry, as usual, is really laying it on heavy here about the importance of all this and how Savage is really screwing them up. Yeah, Larry had another, like, terrible red shirt. Like, Larry's shirts that he wears, it's interesting because, like, you know, I'm a big, like, Roosevelt's shirt guy. Mm -hmm. And they have, like, this shirt that he's wearing, it looks like it, but it's, like, great value. Roosevelt. It's like a polo, and I think it had like a watch on it. It was uh, a wild shirt. Uh, Hogan and Sting, uh, both in the intro, of course. Yes, naturally. So, yeah. All right. So let's get right to the ring for our opening match as Dean Malenko takes on Brad Armstrong. 
Dean struts out with Ray's mask in his hand as a trophy. Tony tells us Malenko beat Armstrong in Saturday night when B.A. had won their first encounter, and we see clips of that outing. Uh, we get some feeling out to start as Larry talks about the psychology of each man. Tony talks about Harlem Heat. Uh, I'm sorry, about Halloween Havoc, where Malenko <laughs> and uh, Ray Mysterio will go out for the Cruiserweight title. Ray can get his mask back then. The fans of the front have NWO leaflets and a rowdy as Armstrong grabs the near fall. Nick Patrick is the referee, still got his neck brace on. Tony says he's been spotty on the weekend shows, whether he wears that brace or not, which I think is a nice nod, because I'm assuming some of that was his films probably before they started the neck yeah. brace angle. So yeah. good cover by Tony to say, play it off like, you know, Patrick's running a grift here, so. That was good. Uh, we get a series of hip lock reversals. Dean busts a clean break with a punch, but Armstrong comes back with a flurry. Everything felt a step off early here, I thought, um, both of their continuity and, and the production. Dean takes over, cranks a chin lock into a seated abdominal stretch. Tony talks more NWO, Savage, Liz. Larry says Hogan and DiBiase are fooling everyone. Malenko keeps working through some offense, laying in a stiff clothesline as we get some sting talk now. Armstrong lands a boot, follows with a missile dropkick for a near fall. B.A. gets a roll-up for two as well, but uh, Dean comes slugging back at him. Armstrong snaps off a Russian leg sweep for two. Larry breaks out the Armstrong curse as the crowd is a bit checked out here. And we see a lot of them looking toward the entranceway. We've talked about this trend and it's picking up, continues to roll here throughout the night. Armstrong gets a side suplex for two. Dean comes back with some knee lifts. Armstrong slips out of a brain buster, but Dean takes him down, hooks into a cravat. And takes the victory with a cool little finishing spot. So I, th- I thought this was fine. I thought it was a little clunky, though. Armstrong got a lot of offense in. Um, Malenko just kind of withstood it until he could take him down into an unbreakable pin. It was smartly worked, but I think the crowd is just getting, again, too conditioned, waiting for that shoe to drop with the NWO. And uh, not really engaging in this match. They, they kind of came out of the gate hot and then kind of faded when this became more of a map-based encounter. So I went two and a half. I'll say I was a little disappointed in it. Um I just again, everything felt just like a little out of sync. I feel like I liked it better than you, but we ended up with the same score. Um, right. I I thought the mat work was good. I I didn't have much of an issue with what they did. I th- I think it was the optics, like you called out. Um, it's it's an interesting thing uh, because we talked about how well the NWO has been booked and they have been booked so strongly. Um. This was one of the first indicators that I think you can see, like, ill effects of that. Because, you know, Memphis is not what you would consider kind of a, a smarky crowd. Right. Um, like, you know, pretty, pretty pro-babyface type of crowd traditionally. And there was a very loud NWO chant um, in this match and whatnot. Uh, the, the clip they showed of Armstrong picking up the upset, they said was from pro and Patrick wasn't wearing his neck brace. So again, like, yeah, Tony covering for that, I thought was good. Um, I thought when, uh, Malenko took over and got a big strike to take over that helped. He showed some kind of intensity there. Uh, and then when Armstrong started rolling through with the near falls, uh, the one, especially off the back, uh, suplex, I thought that was well done. Um, kind of conveyed that he might could pull off the upset again, but I thought they did a good enough job in in uh, giving Armstrong some opportunities, but making sure that like you know Dean was the dominant person mm-hmm. in the match overall. And they uh, they called it a three quarter Nelson pin. Uh, I thought that looked really cool. Like I thought that was a really good kind of finish for them to do. Yeah, I like when they do different stuff like that or nowhere. Like, it doesn't always have to be a finishing hole to close a match, so. 
Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, overall, I thought this was a pretty good opener. Um, Dean with the Ray mask, like, we're not seeing... It's an interesting feud. Like, they've, they've been back and forth. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost kind of like WCW's version of what we've been talking about with Mankind and Undertaker. Right. Just in a cruiserweight level. Like, they've been so paired together for so long. There's not a whole lot more they could do. Um, right. They I barely mean, maybe. Honestly, it's yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, him giving the mask is like a reminder that they have a match coming up, but. Right. You never see like run-ins or real big attacks or at nothing, least on Nitro. So. I mean, I don't know if stuff's going on the weekends. It could be, but yeah, maybe. Right. All right, we get a WCW merchandise ad. Mongo and Deborah hyping up the blue denim Nitro button-up, thirty-nine ninety-five plus seven ninety-five shipping and handling. So get your orders in today. Yeah, Deborah's line here. She said, "You can never have too much money or too many denim shirts in your wardrobe." <laughs> Naturally, yes. I mean, I have zero. So, of both. <laughs> so, I, thought I think my was dad probably has like three or four, is my guess. Yeah, I know you mentioned that. He's a denim shirt. Your dad was a big denim shirt guy. Um, interesting. But yeah, I'm she was not, like the only I don't thing even, they I don't could... even like wearing jeans that much. So, I don't, I don't like denim shirts. No, I'm not shirt. really a jeans guy either. Uh, yeah, she she also was like the only thing that could tear me apart from Mongo is the de- it was it was a weird promo. Um, <laughs> really, you should like you I, really got to sell these shirts, Deborah. You really I, it up. I guess it's been a couple months we've seen Jeff Jarrett wear a denim shirt. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, all right, we see two limousines pull up outside and out pours the NWO. They're all smiles, they're all beat, hugs, bragging as usual. Uh, we then go back to WCW Saturday night for highlights of Jim Duggan and VK Wall Street, where Duggan used a roll of tape, of course, to win. But Patrick reversed the result after seeing the tape, and Larry defends the decision was by the book. So any comments on these uh, two little bits? Uh, Larry said that <laughs> painting the NWO on the world title was sacrilegious. I, I love when Larry <laughs> is, like, appalled. You know, somebody that handed a roll of quarters to someone to uh, help them win a world championship is appalled in any underhanded action or uh, nefarious stuff that somebody else is doing. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll, I, I guess I'll save it for the match, but okay. we'll, we'll get into the Duggan stuff. But I'll, I'll just preface this by saying we're coming up on 20 minutes of Nitro. Mm-hmm. That uh, I'm gonna say is my least favorite since the Nitro that Hall debuted. Wow, okay. these next these next 20 minutes were my absolute least favorite minutes of Nitro okay. since uh, June. Well, that match you reference is the rematch, Jim Duggan, and I guess he's Michael Wall Street now, right? He's not VK yeah, anymore. He's my corrected that. Yes, a uh, bigger turn match. <laughs> M Wall Street. Yeah. Tony notes that there's no Nick Patrick this time. Uh, Larry wants to know if Mark Curtis has the guts of Nick Patrick, and Tony's aghast that Larry would even think to defend Patrick while he hates the NWO so much, but Larry says he doesn't buy into the paranoia. Tony says the NWO referee under the ski mask on Saturday night was Nick Patrick, because uh, the NWO has been taking some segments on Saturday night with a mystery ref. Usual pop for Duggan. M hammers away to start, but Duggan comes back with a flurry to knife through him. He sends a bailing. Duggan keeps pouring it on. Larry calls him an idiot, but Tony says he's a blue-collar leader. Wall Street comes back with a clothesline and claws away, lays in some strikes and gets a near fall into a chin lock. Duggan tries to slug back, but Wall Street dodges, keeps him at bay, hits a leg drop back to a chin lock. 
Duggan catches Wall Street with a boot as he comes out the top and he revs up, pulls out the tape. But Wall Street cracks him from behind and takes the tape. Wall Street shoves the ref, but Duggan nails him with a three-point stance to pick up the win. I know this is proficient. I just don't know why we should care, <laughs> why we're focusing on this on the main show. It's not pushing to a top angle. We're not lining up for the pay-per-view. Just keep this to Saturday night like, or, or pro or whatever the hell else. Like, we just don't need this on here. Duggan and Wall Street are both guys that if you're going to have on Nitro, should be used to put over other guys that are going somewhere. That said, I gave the match two and a quarter. <laughs> I thought it was fine. Um, but it was just, it just doesn't belong here. It's just not, not anything we need to be seeing. Yeah, I would, uh, I hated this. God, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I just thought this was one of the more egregious. I, I, th- I think a lot of it's just because of the role they've been on. Like, this felt like the most tone deaf they've been in a while. Um, since like the spring and it's just i mean there's no i don't see any positives here like um like duggan sucks wall street's boring and even the stuff with patrick like like the stuff with a heel ralph patrick is good but like we talked about like the i i it's 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 right to the point where you get to see where it's like okay like the nwo is now becoming a little bit too, like, all over the place, um, too domineering, and, you know, like, really, like, why should they necessarily care um, or be this involved, one of their members, quote-unquote, in something involving, like, Doug and Wall Street, Teddy Long, which we'll get to in the next match, um, I, I just hated it, like the whole optics. I mean, the, the match itself actually started out a little more hotter than I thought. Um, but then immediately, like when Wall Street takes over, he locks in a chin lock. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on, dude. Like it's a four minute TV match and you're putting on the chin lock. Duggan fights out of that. And then he goes right back to the chin lock. It drove me crazy. Um, then you get just the a, a, a comedy of dumb spots like. Duggan's just punching like these wild, goofy punches of air, um, straight out of the Phineas Godwin playbook. His <laughs> facials in the chin lock are atrocious. Uh, Wall Street does my favorite spot, like where he goes to the top, gets hit with the big boot. You have no idea what Wall Street was going to do if he'd have tried to land it because he was coming straight down on his feet and Duggan was on the mat when he took off. So, I, I mean, what was he even going for? <laughs> right. So that sucked. And then I didn't like like how, I mean, I've, I've railed against Duggan with the tape, but I, I thought this was the more egregious because this is actually a situation where for some, I mean, you have sympathy for Patrick here and Larry right. points it out and he's right. Like, you know, he says like Patrick was by the book. And you get this crazy finish where Duggan whips out the tape. Uh, Mark Curtis, Brian Hildebrand's the ref of this match. He, like, very haphazardly admonishes Duggan not to use the tape. Uh, but Duggan ignores him. And then uh, Wall Street's able to gain control of the tape. He starts wrapping around his hand. Now, all of a sudden, Mark Curtis is, like, up in his face and really getting into him. So, it's a complete double standard on uh, his threat level. Uh, 
Wall Street kind of appropriately shoves Curtis out of the way. Like, why are you in my face if you didn't do nothing to Duggan? And then Duggan gets a lane clothesline and gets the victory. So, and you know, of course, at the end, he's not going to job. So, only for the big stars, brother. So, it's just, I don't know. Like, I hate it. I hated it. Like, I, I really just hate Duggan. Um, I, I feel like Scott, but it is like I've been watching a lot more eighty stuff lately, and mm-hmm. you know, like you know, it's true. But my God, like even like the model Rick Martel is certainly not as good of a wrestler as AWA World Champion Martel, but at least the model's a cool gimmick. Right? Like there is nothing like Duggan. I mean, I guess he got a decent face pop when he won this crowd, but. This, this uh, like I, I really <laughs> so dud. That's that's my rant. I and this is just not needed. Like you have so many other talented guys on the roster. Like even if you, I mean, I think it's easy to say like just plug in two luchadors or something like that out there. But even if you don't want to do that, like get high voltage out here or somebody like that, like that could do a decent, you know, mid card match. Um, and could at, li- at least progress from from it. Well, I can honestly say that nobody in history has broken down this match as de- in depth as you have. So this <laughs> this what sets our this, podcast apart. This, this it, it was really annoying. Me. It was annoying. I, I guess I mean from a match standpoint, I guess I just disassociated it quickly. Um, but I get what you're saying. Like, and, and I feel the same way when it comes to the usage of these guys this is no need for them to be in this position at this point like we, we have mentioned this quite a bit honestly through late 96 now as we get into late 96 that it, i'm curious and at what point do like they realize we don't need like this stuff anymore like we don't need dug in a wall street feuding like we should be focusing on the bigger items or if you want to have throwaway matches you've built up an arsenal and a war chest of athletes that can deliver much more entertaining stuff than this. If you're going to use these guys, keep them on the weekends or put over the bigger names. And that should be it. Yeah. My sneaky suspicion is I don't know if they ever fully realize that. It's just honest. Like, and we'll see, like, I've kind of talked about this before, but I I think like it's, it's easy to paint Mm. the nitro era WCW is like, Oh, there was all these great cruiserweight matches, and then you had, like, a weird main event. I just don't think – I mean, I think even, like, as we get into late 97, I mean, even if you look at something like Goldberg versus Mongo, like, that was supposed to be kind of like a throwaway feud, and it's just like, oh, Goldberg, they call it lightning in a bottle. So they always kind of have these weird – But at least that's, like, younger guys. It is. Like, Goldberg was a guy – like. Yeah. Not these retreads, you know. I mean, like this is such a retread feud. It's like yeah, these guys, and I've, these guys have no potential to go anywhere. At least Goldberg, even if he hadn't got fired, you could say like, all right, well, they're at least trying to do something with someone. And Mongo, for all his warts, was pretty over in '97. You know what I mean? So it's like those guys are at least something. This is like like what's Michael Wall Street really gonna do for you here? At yeah, there's no ceiling for either of these two. Right. So the there ship is, is completely sailed. You want to use them yeah. on house shows to get a pop or yeah. again, like you want to put names on pro. So you have name guys, you know, and there's not too many areas where dirty F has been better than WCW, but 
they at least got that concept a bit, right? Like we never saw TL Hopper fighting Sal Sincere on Raw, right? Those guys would win some matches on on the weekends and then put over the names on Raw. Like that's to me, that's the approach to take versus something like this. Yeah, they just didn't think these guys level. That's the problem. Doug might not be bad in a tag. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, guess what? He's not going anywhere. <laughs> like no, I mean, that's what I'm saying. He, 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 I know for him, I'm like, we'll see when he stops appearing regularly, but he's around. All right, we go right back to the ring uh, for the Marty Sleeze approved Jumpin' Jim Powers taking on no. Hugh Morris. Uh, Hugh's giggling away. He's got his new vest on. <laughs> Larry talks up his skill set. Uh, Powers heads out next with Teddy Long, and we'll see if he can keep him pressing. <laughs> then okay. Patrick is back as the ref, and Tony thinks, uh, thanks Mr. Lawler for helping promote the event and filling the seats. <laughs> it says, we'll see you at the flea market on Thursday, uh, which is quite the burn. So I don't know if Lawler, which I didn't hear anything on Raw or anything, so I don't know if maybe it was like a local USWA TV or something. Like, are we taking shots at Nitro being in the Mid-South, maybe? Uh, so this is right around the time that um, USWA was, I mean, really on their last legs um in 96 they become power pro in 98 uh, when randy hales takes over so because of the decline in uswa they at times and i don't know exactly when they moved to the flea market but um they they were only drawing like seven eight hundred five to eight hundred in the mid-south so i mean it was real bad well what do you think lawler was saying running his mouth about Nitro being there because Tony uh, obviously is triggered by something. So yeah. Lawler must have said something like to, he, he could have said something on Saturday's USWA show. I'm not sure. But the, I thought the flea, I thought the flea market dig was cool because <laughs> like, I mean, obviously that was like a downgrade in venue and uh, it was always humorous where like at the, at, when they announced they were moving to the flea market, uh, they were like cleaner bathrooms and better concession <laughs> stands. Like they were really pushing the food as a reason you should go out to the, uh, and they also mentioned something like security, like, oh, great, better security. Cause I guess uh, also around this, this time, like the Mid-South Coliseum was not in the best area. Uh-oh. Right. So, yeah, that was fun. All right. Well, Tony uh, Bischoff must have definitely got offended by something Lawler did because they they take a very clear shot at him. (laughs) Uh, Morris spikes, powers down a star, powers comes back with a headlock, slams a big man, gets a cross body block for one, slugs away, shoots Morris to the corner, then to the other corner, hits him with a clothesline, he retreats. Powers throws Morris back in. Tony notes that Hugh is solo here tonight. He cuts him down with a clothesline and chokes away. Hugh keeps clubbing on powers with strikes and clotheslines. Tony says Ric Flair's home in Charlotte. You got an MRI as his injury may be more serious than we thought. Morris keeps teasing going to the top and instead just covers. Again, just another odd flow. Slams powers, misses an elbow, starts to rally. Gets a near fall on a sunset flip. Patrick was slow in the count. Teddy's in his face. Powers keeps unloading as Tony says Patrick needs a hiatus to rehab if it's affecting him this badly. Powers gets two in a power slam, gets one on a brutally slow count. Long is all over Patrick again as Morris nails power from behind. Powers battles back. It's a small package, but Patrick tweaks his neck and he can't make the count. So now Teddy and Powers are all over him. Morris gets a back suplex and finishes with the no laughing matter on a very normal Nick Patrick count. Teddy and Patrick argue after the match. Uh, the flow here is definitely ruined by the Patrick stuff, but I've enjoyed the angle a little bit with like Patrick just slipping the bullshit in. 
Um, he just keeps fucking with Teddy, which I don't know if this is going anywhere, but Patrick himself <laughs> is doing a good job. I thought Powers looked fine as always. Morris looks a little bit lost at times about where to go next. Again, good enough. It was probably just a little long, but I, I gave it the same score as last match. I just went two and a quarter. I thought it was just something that was there, and I enjoyed the Patrick with the neck, <laughs> making the neck injury and counting normally <laughs> for Morris. It was funny. Yeah. Um, I didn't like this one either. I went half a star here. Um, I thought this was just dreadfully boring. Um, it, you know, he Morris, we talked about him. He sucks. But even from a kayfabe standpoint in this match, he did, he did some of like as equally dumb as Duggan's baby face routine is his heel routine in this match. He does a lot of dumb things because he, uh, teases going for the no laughing matter like two or three times as a mm-hmm. way to like piss off the fans that he's not going to give them this great moonsault but from a kayfabe standpoint it makes no sense because like that's his finisher it you know wins this match so it was like well you know at one point he actually climbs to the top rope points you know jeers at the fans and then just goes over and pins powers with a pin attempt Yep. Like why you know why if, if he's that incapacitated why did you not just hit your finisher then and win the match instead of being a dumbass and yelling at the fans but I digress I mean the stuff with Teddy and Patrick I I think this is where again like the NWO sheer for me is where it kind of throws it off a little bit because if this was just like your random like Memphis type gimmick with uh, you right. know a crooked referee, I, I think I would be more into it. But it does just feel a little corny and too low in the card for someone that's going to be affiliated with NWO. So that that really yeah, but I feel like a little bit me. like they're trying to throw smoke and be like, like why would the NWO care about these guys? But it's almost like they're doing it to throw people off the scent and say okay. Yeah. I mean, if he's messing Teddy along, he's not with the NWO. He's just like, <laughs> you know, an asshole or whatever, you know, Maybe. messing with him, right? Like, it's like, what's he, he's helping Hugh Morris. He's not an NWO guy. Like, so it feels like that's the attempt, I guess, is like to make it like just throwing smoke left and right. Like, why is he messing with some of these guys and not others? And maybe he isn't an NWO because why would they be doing this? But mm-hmm. I, I'm just assuming that's, that's where they're headed, but. Who knows? I, I I did like how normal the final count is after he'd been. Yes. Uh, it was like the perfect picture, perfect, <laughs> perfect rhythm. So even, even like Tony's like, no problem there on that count. And like Teddy <laughs> immediately comes stopping in. And even Teddy was like, I don't have a problem with that last one. It's the other. It's like, well, no shit, buddy. That's the whole point. Like, this is such know. a random person for to be feeling like Jim Powers. If I just get screwed in all this, he's yeah, on the run yeah. of his career finally. Oh, no. like, gonna... like, Teddy going Tim Anderson with Nick Patrick is uh, humorous here. But, yeah. All right, WCW Saturday night. We got Rough and Ready versus the Faces of Fear. We have Lex Luger, Randy Savage, Diamond Dallas Page, Dean Malenko, Chris Jericho, and the NWO all featured as well. So, pretty stacked up night of action on Saturday night. Yeah, just a weird, like a lot of stars, just a weird feature match mm-hmm. that they throw out. But, yeah. Well, I think the NWO has been the main draw on Saturday yeah. night right now because they're kind of doing that like NWO segment in the black and white in the empty arena with the mass ref and all that. So Yeah, I should start watching those. I, don't, I haven't watched those 
I don't think all in total. So I should give those a, a look at. All right. Let's go to our next match back to the ring as Lex Luger takes on Greg Hammer Valentine. Dream match. Uh, Hammer struts out confidently, ready to take up the dinged up Luger. He's still recovering from that horseman attack. His ribs are taped. Pretty good spot for the Hammer. Larry blames Sting for the attack on Lex. Hammer works the arm to get us going as Tony says Lex needs to be careful with Havoc just two weeks away. Hammer fights through a comeback, clubs away, but Luger catches him with an axe. He can't suplex Hammer and collapses. Hammer starts to work the ribs with a precision attack. We see Arn watching the match on his monitor. He's rooting on Hammer to work the back. DiBiase and Vincent show up in the crowd as Hammer continues through his offense. Tony says that Hogan is demanding, or gets a note that Hogan is demanding to make a live announcement tonight. Larry's not a fan of that. It says this is more mind games. The crowd chants NWO as DiBiase and Vincent look on. Larry rants about the mess that WCW is in due to all these injuries, the mental issues, the fuse. There's no unity. Hammer keeps beating on the back with a good aggressive attack. We get more Sting talk and Luger chants. Luger finally mounts his comeback with some power strikes. It's a forearm, but he can't cover. Hammer gets a quick near fall. His feet in the ropes, but Luger recovers and racks him for the win. Uh, this is a nice little TV match. Uh, there's a quality win for Luger. His selling was on point. Adds a good dimension. For Havoc, Hammer was good, too, in the attack on the back. And the finish was good because it showed Luger can withstand the pain and finish through the rack if he needs to. Uh, I like Hammer. Now, he's like the opposite to me of like a Duggan on this roster right now. Because mm-hmm. he can still he can piece together these types of matches. And they're using them the right way. He's putting over these guys and having quality outings. And, like, this is how a Duggan should be used. Be, be facing off with these uh, guys up the card and making them look strong. So a guy like Hammer has been a nice addition actually to the roster. So I went two and three quarters. Uh, this is pretty well done. And you got some important stuff too with DiBiase and Vincent watching and the announcement that Hogan wants to talk tonight. So um, I, this is a pretty solid little segment. Yeah. Yeah. I like this. Um, this is one of my favorite PWO threads where uh, Marty Sleeves, uh not surprisingly loved this match. He goes three and a half. Uh, but he gives his typical, you know, like pretty good 400 word review or whatever. And the only response to that is a Green Lantern fan uh, that says, hmm, I'm starting I'm starting to question your judgment. I just can't believe this was any good. <laughs> That's all he says. So, quite the uh, rebuttal there for Marnie's review. But no, I mean, I thought this was really good. Like, mm-hmm. Luger... We talked about Luger seemingly being a little lost in the shuffle. I think he kind of had some shades of that here, but um, Vincent and DiBiase looking on at least with something. Arn in the back kind of kept that feud alive. I did like Arn like coaching Valentine, like keep it going on the back and stuff like that. And uh, I, I do think Valentine is a real good enhancer for this type of role where, you know, like he, he was, entirely focused on the real back area of Luger throughout this match. Um, had some good clubbing blows to emphasize that. Um, and then Luger selling, I thought was fantastic. Like really good. Like, like mm-hmm. very, very strong. Um, his, uh, facials and selling and, uh, Really felt like, oh, he's probably not going to be able to get him into the rack. I thought they did a good job on commentary, Tony and Larry talking about how, like, well, he's not obviously not going to be able to rack him with the bad back. So, how's he going to be able to put Valentine away? 
Yep. Um, and then made it even more triumphant when he is able to get Valentine up in the rack and gain the submission. So I, I thought this was a pretty strong little segment. Um, and yeah, like I, I, as I mentioned, like the last two segments are really despised. Uh, so I was hoping for something good, and this really helped kind of jolt me out of the doldrums of the uh, past 20 minutes or so of the show. Two or All three right. quarters okay. for me, if I didn't mention that same as you yeah and it was definitely good hype for luger with the back i I think it's cool to have him rack him um through the pain so yep all right tony shimani's with nick patrick at ringside he (laughs) says savage will indeed be fine like patrick said but it will not be a million dollars just 500 and he will miss the first five matches of 1997 so uh quite the forward-looking suspension here Patrick right. says it's a joke. He'll never get the respect of the wrestlers like this. WC is about to have a war with his legal staff. No one gets away with putting his hands on them. Tony brings up footage from Saturday night with the masked man referee he believes to be Patrick. Patrick says he's in way better shape than that masked man. He looks like <laughs> Randy Anderson. Patrick says he works uh, hurt and he does his job and it makes him sick to be accused of being NWO. He wants to see action, not words. And if WCW won't back him, his legal team will. So, Patrick continues to be focused on quite a bit, and I think he continues to deliver. He, he works this angle well, and Shivani pushing on it, trying to figure things out was good, too. Yeah, no, I did like this. Um, I, I thought this was, like, the best uh, aspects of Patrick and his kind of heel demeanor. Um, it was witty. It was uh, kind of combative. And to me, this worked. I, I did like showing the clips of the WCW Saturday Night stuff. And then they got him saying, like, he's in much better shape than that referee. It looks like Randy Anderson. That was a funny line, too. So, mm-hmm. overall, this was a win uh, interview for me. <clears throat> yes. It's been surprisingly more focused on Patrick than I remembered. So, I knew he was, yeah, like, involved in stuff. But, yeah, he's all over. But he's doing good. All right, back to the ring. Our uh, bizarre mismatch of matches continues. As Macho Man Randy Savage is set to take over or to take on Mean Mike Enos. Enos heads to the ring as we get to hour two. We go to uh, Bobby Heenan and Mike Tanay. They reset. They say Eric Bischoff is not here. Tanay said he got where the Bischoff is in the building, and he's trying to talk to Macho Man who's heading out to the match. Bischoff does show up in the aisle, and he stops Randy Savage to talk to him as Savage is jittery and manic. He settles down but does not want to talk about Liz. Bischoff keeps bringing it up. He says, look, I got nothing to gain. We just need to talk. Bischoff forces Savage to talk and shows him footage on a TV. The footage shows Miss Elizabeth sitting on a tree swing and says she's done all she can to get his attention, but he won't listen, so this is the last chance. She knows saying sorry will never be enough. She thought she was acting out of anger, but she was just a coward and desperate to hurt Savage and get his attention. But she sits where they used to share everything on a swing. He built her and she's alone again. She would do be uh, would do willing to do anything to change things. She's truly sorry. Wishes he would just forgive her. She says one of the worst choices she ever made was signing with Hollywood Hogan. who was using her to hurt him. And she's really lost and alone and needs Savage, but can't reach out to him. She feels the same way about Savage today as she did when she said, I do. She knows no other. uh, She knew. I'm sorry. She breaks down crying and then we fade out. Savage clearly shook. Bischoff says he knew no other way to get to Savage. He wants a response, but Savage is speechless. Bischoff keeps pushing for an answer, talking about it, but Savage can't talk. He just shoves Eric Bischoff and starts to walk back to the ring and then turns and just leaves the arena, gets in a limo, and drives off. Uh, I thought this was super intense. It was well done. There's so many open questions. Is this mind games? What are the motives? Is Hogan putting her up to this? Is she working with Hogan? 
Did she really feel remorse over this contract she was kind of forced into? Uh, and there's so much history between the three of them driving it all. So I thought it's a real shrewd way to lean into the Hogan-Savage match. It continues the Hogan mind games angle, and it brings Elizabeth into the focus of these two, which she's always been. So I, I this is great stuff, Chad. I, I thought I feel like it's a forgotten part of the NWO angle, um, and it was just really well done. Yeah, I'm glad you said this was forgotten. I mean, I think this is one of the more uh, really strong angle type things we've seen that is forgotten. Not mm-hmm. only in this whole NWO arc, but you know, like the 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 story of uh, Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth is so kind of like so well known that this seems like a weird forgotten chapter for something that carried so much weight. Um, I did not remember this, so I didn't know what to expect when they kind of threw to Elizabeth in a swing. Mm -hmm. Her her acting at points is never the best, Uh, but I thought she was fantastic here. I mean, I don't know how much, uh, you know, again, like, this is one of those great angles where it's like, Again, from a from a storyline perspective, it works. But even like how much green of the lines there is here, like I mean, by this point, their marriage and real life had completely kind of disarrayed. Um, yep. You know, so it, it was a lot of uh, this. This one really hit like the emotional beats that I think it needed to. Um, and then between Elizabeth's reaction and the way Savage was just kind of. Uh, just afterwards was just like completely shaken up and kind of stumbles to the limo and drives away. It was uh, very powerful too. Um, really slam dunk segment. Uh, I loved it. And Eric being the person doing the interview, I think is a little, uh, a nice little nod too. Like you, you know, him being that person. Um, also, I mean, you can tell they're starting to say more stuff with Eric to tease. Um, like, uh, when they first start hour two tonight, like, you know, we've heard this before, but Eric Bischoff is not here tonight. It was like, you know, a little bit of a dig, um, or is not announcing right now. So, uh, overall there, there was a lot going on here. And uh, I thought it delivered and really hit the emotional beats that you needed. Um, uh, in uh, in the uh, PWO thread for this, I'll give uh, Marty again another shout out on the show where he talks about how the first hour was very uh, like pro wrestling match heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like them doing like the quick Patrick interview and then this kind of back to back to kind of go into the second hour. Um, was a cool like lead in um so yeah really strong i mean i think this was like my favorite segment so far of the hogan macho build and it, i mean i've liked most of the stuff like i feel like it's been a uh, feud that has gotten progressively better which is nice to see like the stuff in the hotel room was a little weird um and then last week with the big beat down or two weeks ago whenever that was out that was more impactful and then this yep. was even more impactful so so we keep building the building yeah i just love all the layers to it like mm-hmm. you know like i said is it is it hogan is putting her up to it again 
Or is she really right. working for Hogan and she's in right. on this, right? right? Or is she really trying to escape Hogan? So it's like there's so many parts that it's it's open and up in the air. So all right, we got a New World Order paid T-shirt ad, of course, by the shirt. We then go back to Bischoff, Bobby, and today the reset. They talk about the emotional scene we just saw. Bobby gives Bischoff a bunch of shit for screwing with Savage even more. He's already fucked up. He's got havoc to prep for. Bischoff tries to justify his actions, and today backs up Bobby as Bischoff is now throwing another distraction in the mix ahead of Halloween Havoc. Bischoff apologizes to Mike Enos for messing up his match <laughs> and to the fans as well because we don't get to see the match. So we've talked about it, right? All the little seeds about mm-hmm. Bischoff. And this this mm-hmm. feels like a heavy-handed one where maybe if you're astute, you're kind of picking up on, hey, what, what is Bischoff doing? Like, why is he yeah. why is he trying to screw with Savage before the big show? Is he really just that aloof? Um, and he's trying to help Elizabeth break free. So, like, again, there's layers here that you can examine and explore to try and figure out what's going on. Yeah, I, I again, that's just another kind of layer on top of everything else is the Bischoff effect of all this. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I almost feel like Nick Patrick's like the hour one, you know, goon turning and Bischoff's like the hour two. Um, yep. I, it just feels like just with the way the stature of the stuff that's going on, like Bischoff just feels a little more important because it is like main event. So. Yeah. All right. We go back to the match where we have Eddie Guerrero taking on the Cheetah Kid. Bobby says Savage is mixing business and love, and he's all messed up from it. Eddie's all smiles usually heads out to take on the kid. We get an inset promo from Eddie Guerrero about DDP ahead of Havoc. Kid is all over Eddie to start with strikes as today talks up his longtime resume. Kid gets a follow-away slam for two. Claws away as we get more DDP talk. Nick Patrick is back in there as ref. Kid slams down Eddie hard, loads up a powerbomb, but Eddie flips out of it. We head outside where Eddie resets, but eats a springboard dropkick. Kid brings him back inside as Bischoff apologizes to the Poffo family for his decisions. Eddie crotches Kid and hits a top rope on Karana and then finishes with a frog splash. Again, a little clunky. Kid seemed out of sorts. Eddie had to set himself up a few times. Uh, we go into a quick finish. Eddie wins strong, but not much to it. Just a chance to get him TV win before Havoc. I went two stars. Um, not a ton to cook in here. Yeah, I went the, I went the same. Um, I think it's odd that you have a Rocco Rock on the roster who mm-hmm. competed as the Cheetah Kid, and then you have yes. this Cheetah Kid. So that uh, kind of threw me for a loop here. This this will be Prince Ikea. Um, he, you know, I don't I don't know if he ever gets very good, but he's certainly not very good right now. Uh, just starting out. Um, so uh, Eddie kind of has to, like you said, place himself for a lot of this match. Um, I thought the announcer did pretty good in uh, weaving both uh, the stuff that just happened with Savage, but also talking about Eddie and Diamond Dallas Page's uh, match at Halloween Havoc. Again, that's another one that between Fall Brawl and Halloween Havoc, we haven't seen a lot of interaction between them two directly. It's just kind of been like when they've wrestled, they've sort of, you know, gave a parting shot to the other one, at least on Nitro. Um, so, so we'll see as the match, pr- uh, happens at Havoc, but, uh, in a pretty, pretty easy work tonight for Eddie gets the win with the frog splash. Patrick's the referee here still selling the neck when he does the pitfall count. So it's interesting uh, how many long burn feuds, 
it's interesting how many long burn feuds they do have. Like, yeah, stuff will start in May and we don't hear about it again until August. You know what I mean? Like, it's, right. it's interesting how they go about it. It's such a WCW thing where they just have these long burning angles where <laughs> they may not interact for, for a month and a half. And all of a sudden, like, all right, now it's time for, you know, Paige to try and get his ring back. It's like, or whatever, you know, it's just, um, it's just weird how they go about stuff. Yeah, like, I mean, month, month pay per view. It's like they just set up stuff, and when they're ready to have it, they'll have it. Oh, and I think too, like, there's just these breaks too in appearances. If you're just watching, um, like like last week we had Diamond Dallas Page on Nitro, but we don't have him this week, you know. So, it's, it's, well, I think it get... even happens as we get into like '97, '98, even with the main events. Like, there'll be feuds that go two months and we don't then i even on the pay-per-view in between you know like stuff like that right that they'll right. set up for like two months out which i guess works when you have such a big roster you can do stuff like that and say it's may and they'll announce that these two are going to fight in july not at june right and they, they almost yeah. set up like months it, it's almost even though they're live every week it almost feels like they're on that kind of tape schedule like right. wwf was because like this show we had no jericho he'd been on most of the shows We've watched since his debut. Uh, no Ray, no Benoit. So, yep. All right. Lee Marshall joins us from Minnesota, and we yeah. have a new thing to track, Chad. I, I made a list here. We're going to track the 1 800 Collect Road Reports <laughs> locations of Lee Marshall. So, this week he's in Minnesota because WCW with the Target Center uh, on Friday, 10 18, he and uh, Bischoff talk weather. And there are ties to the area. Bischoff says WCW will also be in Lacrosse and then Mankato for Nitro. So um, Lee is camped out there, and that'll be, of course, a regular occurrence weekly for a long time to come. The 1 800 Collect Road Report. No weasel joke yet, though. No, yeah. I was uh, interested to hear the non weasel joke. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. this is a, this is a, I mean, this is a WCW thing for like, Hogan in the opening yes. and stuff like that. Like this is something you associate with WCW. So was happy to see it pop up here, and we'll see how it progresses. I would say besides the weasel bit, like they had most of the like bits down. Like yes, didn't alternate that much. Um, nope. You got the iconic yeah. picture of him on the phone with the map. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. All right, back to the ring we go as Jeff Jarrett is out in his home state taking on Big Bubba. It's a good Jimmy Hart with him. He's starting to present himself as a hater of newcomers, I guess, <laughs> as far as uh, hatred of Glacier and now Jarrett. Bischoff said Harlem Heat's management team reminded him that tonight's match is non-title. They refused to put the titles up uh, until Halloween Havoc. Bischoff says he heard Double J can't sing a lick, but who cares? That was funny. <laughs> WCW's about wrestling. That was a great dig. Uh, he also says he thought Double J would go NWO like the others. Basic star here is Bubba gets into power offense. Bobby says Jarrett cares about tradition. He starts to turn the tide and strut a bit. Jarrett slugs away, but Jimmy trips him from the outside to bait him out into a Bubba punch. Today talks about the attack on Flair and the NWO stealing the U.S. title. Bubba wants to slam Jarrett on the steps, but the ref stops him. Jimmy lands some kicks on the floor and yells that it's his hometown as Jarrett recovers and Bubba keeps slugging back at him. Bubba grabs a chin lock and slows us down as he has full control. Bubba cuts off Jarrett with a kick and keeps leaning on him, grabbing near falls. We get a long match here as Jarrett finally dodges a charge, gets to work with kicks, and takes Bubba down. Jarrett cracks Jimmy but walks into a spine buster, punches away at his face, and then swats the ref. Jimmy tosses in the megaphone, but Jarrett drop kicks it into his face for the win. 
again, has been the way tonight. Just kind of a fine match. Bubba worked hard. Shows why Jarrett could be good as a face with a selling. But it is really early in his win. Uh, early in his run. A cleaner win with the figure four probably would have been more effective versus this nonsense. Uh, we'll see where Jarrett goes from here. Bubba's Bubba. So I went two and a half. And again, just kind of a formidable paint by numbers match. Two and three quarters for me. I like this. Um, I thought this was a good Memphis match to have in Memphis. Um, Jared gets a real good face reaction from the Memphis crowd. I mean, his time in Memphis, he's mostly a face. So that makes sense. Yep. Um, Jimmy being out there, too, is a lot more like historically significant for the town than you might think just because of how mm-hmm. important Jimmy is to Memphis wrestling. Um, so him getting, I thought like they don't mention it at all though. You think they would have, usually they're pretty good at talking up stuff like that, especially tonight. Uh, yeah, they, well, they kind of did say like, I think Jimmy's jealous of the reaction Jarrett got from the Memphis crowd. Um, yeah. so they sort of say that, I, I think that's as much of a nod as they did. Uh, but uh, I mean, in Memphis, the, the uh the managers got abused so this this was worked that way where like jimmy gets socked at the end uh bubba was pretty vicious like when he goes outside he hammers Mm -hmm. jared and he has the steps and kind of does some stuff out there on the floor and whatnot um and uh actually has to have uh the referee step in front of him to (laughs) not inflict more damage um, so so I, I thought this was actually a spirited performance by Bubba, too. And just just overall, I mean, I thought this was worked in a cool kind of throwback way uh, that was appeasing to me. I thought it was nice to see Jarrett as a babyface get mm-hmm. a pretty strong babyface reaction. Um, I enjoyed the match in the segment, two and three quarters. Yeah, I think Jarrett... Uh... He's been a good addition to this. I like him so far in this role. So we'll see. He's interesting. Him. Yeah, he's interesting in that we'll see like him in Minnesota next week. I don't know mm-hmm. if he appears, but we'll have to see. But him in these, I mean, because I don't, I don't remember it being that long before he turns. <laughs> you know, that's kind of his gimmick. Right. Jared's always turning. Um so, so it'll be interesting to see if he gets kind of a tepid reaction in some of these unfamiliar markets when he's still trying to present himself as Mr. Babyface. Um, right, right. We'll have, to, we'll have to track that. Because, I mean, so far, like, this was easy. Again, like in Memphis, he was predominantly a face and always a very good one. So he was prone to get a good reaction here. Last week he got a good one, but it was like a surprise debut. So... No big surprise there that they were receptive to him. So once he goes to like, uh, you know, Las Vegas for Havoc and whatnot, if he's still presenting himself as Mr. Babyface, we'll we'll see if the crowds is willing to uh, go along with that. All right, Tony talks to Jarrett in the aisle. He brings up Flair's injury, and Jarrett's thrown his hat in to face the giant Halloween Havoc, and the committee has approved. Giant has a stolen the U.S. title belt. Jarrett says he feels great for coming to WCW as an impact player, and Giant will find out all about that at Havoc. Jarrett's the smartest wrestler alive today. He'll find a way to take Giant down and hook the figure four, and the AW will respect Ric Flair, WCW, and Double J. So, again, pretty good, straightforward babyface promo. Shows that he's going to not cower from a guy like the Giant. He's going to step right to him. 
and uh, fight on behalf of Ric Flair. So pretty good stuff. On the yeah, I like. I thought the interview was good. I should have mentioned too on the replay, Bobby did it, and he actually mentioned about like Jared not being able to sing, and who cares? And right, that right. was about as far as Bobby goes. You know, mm-hmm. a shot's fired. I, I was yes. surprised he said something like that. All right. Back to the ring. We have our tag team match non-title as Harlem Heat takes on the faces of fear. Bischoff says Hogan has demanded time tonight for a statement and he'll get it. They're trying to reach Savage via mobile phone in his limo. The face of fear storm out. It's a pretty big match. It's a high profile shot, even though it's non-title. Colonel Parker and Sherry lead out the champs. Bobby's glad they're not putting the belts up since the interview can cause havoc at any time. Booker and Ming start off. Ming lays the wood. Bobby hopes Harlem Heat doesn't get hurt. Bischoff talks about what happened with Savage earlier, thinks the NWO broke a spirit, or maybe it'll motivate him to make a major comeback. Benoit, Mongo, and Deborah head to the ring to observe uh, the Harlem uh, Heat for their Halloween Havoc opponents. Ming hammers away. Um, I'm sorry. They, they're observed the face of fear. Uh, Ming hammers away and leads a stiff sidekick and then a wheel kick from Booker. Stevie comes in and clubs away. Barbarian gets in as well. Turns the tide. A lot of stiff offense. Stevie takes over, chokes Barbarian as Bischoff thinks the NWO momentum comes to a halt at Havoc. Booker gets two on a sidekick, lands another one for two. Bischoff says Hall and Nash are always doing cheap shots at attacks, but at Havoc, they have to prove it in the ring. The champs continue to tag and put Barbarian getting closer to a near fall. Barb battles back. It's a belly-to-belly superplex to wipe out Booker. Ming comes in and shakes his hips at Sherry and smashes Booker with a powerbomb for two. <laughs> Barbarian gets a nasty backbreaker on Booker, but Stevie makes a save. Ming comes in. They hit a double-falling headbutt as Bischoff is begging Sting to show up next week at Nitro. He's going to try and reach out to him this week. The crowd wakes up subtly, and Bobby's ready to run away as the Outsiders pop up and show up at ringside. Harlem Heat face the fear. All leave the ring. They stare down the Outsiders as the bell rings. Bischoff says WCW will join to stop this, and Bobby says it's not too late to pull together. The Outsiders leave as Bischoff says Sting needs to come in and be a leader. He needs to step up now. Pretty fun, stiff match. Uh, I like the tag offense, the blending of power spots. Face of Fear really in a groove and are acting like a top act. Good match, and the finish was fine as well to add heat to Halloween Havoc. So I went three stars on our tag match here, Chad. Okay, I was a little lower, two and a half. Um, well, this is one that was kind of starting to cook, and then it had the finish. Um, which, I mean, I, you know, I didn't think it was a terrible finish, but it was just from an in-ring standpoint. It was like, all right, we were really going. Um the, the opening was kind of a little bit of filling out. I, I thought Barbarian, you know, he'd been kind of the highlights of the face of fear to me, but I thought this was kind of the rare occurrence so far where Mean outshone him, in my opinion. Um, I thought Mean flashed a lot of good personality here, and him, like, swiveling his hips for Sherry was mm-hmm. very humorous. Yes. And, uh, like, one time... Um, I think it's Booker, like Booker scaled the top rope and Ming just went over there and gave him like a cheap shot right in the stomach <laughs> and crotched him. Yep. Like he was, he's been pretty nasty. Uh, but yeah, I mean, overall, as far as a match, like good, beefy, um, big man wrestling that again shows the depth of the uh, tag division. I, I think we mm-hmm. talked about how, how, uh, stacked it was earlier in the year and then we had a little bit of a lull but i feel like now you know if the steiners can kind of get back with it we're we're coming up again on a very strong tag division uh, between like the faces of fear finding their stride outsiders harlem heats looking good um 
So then if you can get a couple other teams added in the mix, like another very strong tag division. So uh, two and a half, and then the stuff with the NWO invading was well done too, leading to our ending segment. All right, we got a Halloween Havoc ad, and then Bischoff today and Bobby again reset. Bischoff talks more about Savage. Says if Savage laces up the boots again, it's over for Hogan. But if he can't break this funk, he could be done for good. Could go either way, and Liz could be the catalyst to bring him back. The crowd then erupts as the NWO walks to the ring, led by Hogan, and the rest of the gang behind him forcing Liz to walk with them. Hogan says it's NWO time, and that gets a huge pop. Hogan says he hopes Savage would at least come fight. Says he's clean shaven because he's filming his new movie, Three Ninjas, <laughs> and he can push any of Savage's buttons anytime he wants to make him run or hide. Hogan calls Liz a great actress, and she goes to slap him but gets stopped. He says Savage broke down and crying isn't worthy of a title shot anymore. The Nasty Boys come out laughing. They have their NWO shirts on. Hogan gives some fake excitement as they greet everyone and says they can come in and join the party. Hogan says he never did them wrong before, They've, and uh, they watched his back the last two weeks. If there's anything he could do for them, they can give him a call. A nervous knob says there is a lack of communication because on DiBiase's contract, they think the Learjet and Limo should be in there and the decimal point should be further back. Maybe that was just a mistake. Hogan looks at the contract, says, hey, he didn't sign this. It's not the one he laid out. Maybe they shouldn't have the shirts on just yet if he didn't sign it. Knobs asks what he's talking about, and Hogan says, you don't wear the colors unless they're told to. And then the NWO beat down and spray paint the nasties. I don't know if this made a lot of sense, but I guess it's a pretty good <laughs> swerve. I think it, again, comes out to Hogan being confusing when he explains things. We've talked about that quite a bit. He's not always the best. He takes a very roundabout way to get to his points at times. Hogan trash talks Savage some more as the nasty humiliation continues. Hulk talks about Liz spending years dreaming about him, and after Hivek, she will be uh, he will she will be her, he will be her man, and he's heading back to Hollywood with Liz to finish filming. He's going to have Liz get a new hairdo that Savage will love. Again, this part of this is great. It's so layered and dark stuff from Hogan is trolling Savage about Liz and how he has her now. Plays into all the jealousy stuff from the WF days. Super effective. They found Savage's weakness and they're drilling in on it to shake him for Havoc. A uh, good payoff again. The Nasties, I think they actually would have been good additions to the NWO. I wouldn't have been against them adding them. I, I think this way now they're going to kind of get lost in the shuffle. Uh, the Outsiders hit the booth. Bischoff, Tanae, and Bobby run away. Hall and Nash issue a warning to those hillbillies from Harlem. Says they're country bumpkins from Texas in reality. And then we wrap <laughs> up with the clip of Savage from earlier. So a good closing segment. A more more yes than no on the Hogan stuff. Again, I just think he's not that great sometimes explaining the evil master plan it kind of goes in circles so it's confusing was it mind games with the nasties all along was he mad at them because they repped the colors and they shouldn't have been like kind of what was the point of this is the show that their business and that he's not going to fuck around with guys like that I don't, they don't really give a clear motive as to why they trolled the nasties for like a month and a half and then beat them down uh, but everything else to me was pretty good the being itself the liz stuff the savage stuff is all great yeah i, I like uh, kind of from a standpoint of again, like we saw with uh, the Booty Man, like that, you know, Hogan's not afraid to beat up his real life friends because he wanted to yep. gain prominence. So that was good. I mean, the beat down on him was funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, the explanation's a little weird. Like, I feel like they probably could have had the Nasty Boys do something more prominent. And then you could say, like, oh, okay, like, Hogan was just using them to accomplish that goal and then found them disposable. Um, which, honestly, they probably should have done to NWO Sting at this right. point. Like, they probably should have just booted him. Um, 
But, uh, but yeah, I mean, like, the NWO still has a presence. Like, when they come out here, like, they still look pretty loaded. Like, you do have Vincent, but Vincent's mm-hmm. strictly, you know, bodyguard. And you do have NWO Sting, which is still kind of relevant. But besides that, like, I mean, they look pretty imposing between the Outsiders, a Giant, Six, now running around, Trillionaire Ted, and uh, Hogan going nuts, like explaining why he's shaved and telling Liz she's going to get a haircut. At one point, uh, you know, I, I think this was on purpose, but they had the giant around Liz to kind of shield a lot of the trash that was getting pelted in. And uh, at one point, Liz gets completely like hit with something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I. I it's an interest. I mean, it's still an interesting visual, and it's still uh, good development. I thought for the main event, uh, and also for the tag match. <laughs> I mean, the outsiders uh, loving to spread out that Harlem Beach from actually from Texas is uh, one of their favorite things, but it, it works. Yes, um, I did like Elizabeth trying to slap Hogan too. Um, I, I, that, that I thought was a, a nice, uh, bit, I mean, you know, I think by the end of this, you're feeling more confident that Liz is being coerced and forced into all yes. this and it's not, yes. not working with them. I think by the end of this promo, there's a little, maybe Agreed. a little question early, but by the time you finish this, you're thinking, okay, like she's being held here against her will. Um, the only, only question remains, is, does she really feel that way about Savage or are they making her say these things? So that's, right. the, that's the only linger so we'll see what happens with the nasties again i think i think they could have made it more clear or given a better motive or reason <laughs> like like i i think look we know hall and ash are likely to win the belts at havoc mm. why not have the nasties play a role in that match like maybe make it a triple threat or the nasties get to fight ha- harlem heat on saturday night before havoc as part of a demand like use them to win something and then turn mm-hmm. on them. Like yeah. they haven't really done anything with them. They watched Hogan's back that one week, but didn't really do anything. And then they came and ate all the food and drank the booze at the party. <laughs> so it's like, like they haven't <laughs> really done anything of note. So why not actually let them or attack? Maybe they should have been the ones to beat down flair, you know, like use them yep. for some benefit before kicking them out. Like this was just yeah. like messing with them for no reason with no real tangible benefit. <laughs> yeah, they definitely, there should have, had them do a task and then said, well, we find you disposable now. Or, like, went the other way and had it more clear that said, like, you know, you guys have been hanging out with us for a month now and, you know, haven't been carrying your weight or, you know, something like that. And that's right. why they get booted. So, one or the other. All right. So, that does it. <clears throat> why don't we get to our uh, awards here? Match to the night, uh, rough pickings overall. I ended up going faces of fear, Harlem Heat. Yeah, I thought, I mean, I actually thought from an in-ring standpoint, it's kind of an interesting show in that we have... Uh, I guess it was uh, all solid, but it was yeah, like nothing Yeah, solid, great. but nothing good. Yeah, so I, I went Valentine and um, Luger. All right, moment, I went with the Elizabeth video. It's, it's funny you went Harlem Heat versus... I mean, that was probably like my fourth best match, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had it at three. I had a couple of two and three quarters. I mean, everything was for me was between two and a quarter and three. So I guess that's right. a, it's a solid night. Just, yeah. I'm used to I, I, that one match standing out, you know? Yeah. I had two at two and a half and two at two and point seven five. So right. in the same vicinity. 
Uh, yeah, uh, best segment's the Elizabeth. Yeah, the Elizabeth. Right. MVP, I ended up going Hogan. Um, even though I, I had a, a couple qualms um, in that promo, I thought he was still really good. He's still the big bad. He's still an asshole. All the mind game, the comments, the dark stuff about Savage and Liz is all on point. I, I think you could have maybe went Liz. Um mm-hmm. Or even Nick Patrick, I guess, had a good night, too. But Hogan's still just the guy right now. Yeah, I, I went Elizabeth. Um, okay. I, yeah. She's someone, yeah, she's someone I don't associate typically with great acting. And yep. I think, um, you know, like I, I thought the segment of her on the pre-tape was a slam dunk. Um, but I, I will say, like, I, I, usually she kind of struggles more in the live setting at points when she needs to be dramatic and um and she did very well in the ending segment too to me so the the, she showed more range here than Mm -hmm. uh usual i guess yeah it was a big night for her um yeah definitely a key cog in all this and it's it's making the havoc build way more intense and personal that i ever remembered it being right um which is cool. it doesn't it doesn't feel like a relic match between them two like i, I no, feel no. like yeah i Not feel like it'd been easy to say like all right it's been six years mm-hmm. like this would have been like austin and rock in 2006 or yeah. seven you know coming back and it's just like a legends, you know, rehash. It doesn't feel like that. No, and I think what's helped too is that they haven't fought at all on WCW. So right. they were tied at the hip a lot, but they've been they haven't wrestled since what the main event with Buster Douglas. I mean, that's probably yeah. their last match. They had, yeah, so. February ninety, I think. Yeah. yeah, so we're six and a half years later, like to your point. So it's it's relatively fresh. We haven't had it yet where we never had it where Savage is the face and Hogan was the heel, so that's new. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hogan's super hot in, in this level of mind game. So, no, it's actually a relatively fresh match, um, <laughs> all things considered, you know? Yeah. Which you wouldn't think. Uh, no. Any commentary notes you have? No. Oh, I think we covered most of the high points, yeah. I don't have okay. anything in addition. Shots fired. We have Shivani shitting on the king and uh, <laughs> Bischoff and then Bobby making the comments about Jared not being able to sing. <laughs> I always think, I mean, Shivani and Lowell are such a weird pairing because they've been right. around for so long and, like, the only thing they ever did together, right, was the XWA or whatever it was. Yes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, debuts. I just had the Cheetah Kid. Yeah. And then uh, Road Report is Minneapolis. Yep. And uh, No Dropped Angles. And final grade, I ended up going 7 out of 10. Still, uh, even for these like ones that we perceive to be a little bit down, episodes of Nitro are still compelling. They're still easy to watch. The commentary is all locked in. Uh, the in-ring, like we said, nothing was really... I, I mean, I was a bit higher than you on some of the bad stuff, I guess. But uh, mm-hmm. while nothing stood out, it was still fine. And then I just thought that highly of all the Savage, Liz, Hogan stuff that mm-hmm. completely carried this. Plus good promos from Jarrett and Nick Patrick as well. Yeah, I went six and a half out of ten, which I actually think is a pretty good rating considering that mm-hmm. chunk that I did not like at all. Um, probably like a quarter of the show I really didn't like. Um, and that to me speaks how strong I thought the other stuff was, um, yeah. especially the Savage stuff. Like, I really do think that, you know, maybe like this podcast forced people to seek that out. But like, honestly, if you were just doing 
like a high high level like mm-hmm. overview at the best nwo stuff and from the best of 1996 wcw like i would put that vignette up there like i, I thought that was just incredible so yeah very strong agreed we'll see how it lingered you know yeah right uh all right anything you want to highlight at the uh, north south connection before we move on to raw uh stuff every day still cranking out a lot of high quality content uh when this dropped uh it's been about a week and a half since it's dropped but you and marcus did one season of <laughs> war uh which In was kind of a like one episode for one season which was fun between the uh, wrestling classic and uh wrestlemania 2 i was happy to hear you crap on the moondog spot versus terry's uh-huh, match that yeah i got i got selected with that Pro- <laughs> actually probably this duggan wall street match was the most mad i've been since i watched that match for Cronoso. <laughs> actually uh-huh. that's an all-time bad one marcus bad. i almost ended i almost quit the show over here trying to defend it <laughs> oh yeah it was bad uh but that was fun i knew a wrestler that was also has dropped with trish stratus another interesting uh source for uh aaron to talk about for over an hour and a half about in a very compelling way um and then y'all's latest gwe countdown had a lot of feedback on that between the uh, Pat Patterson shaming as well as the uh, Valentine versus Kofi Kingston debate, which I uh, found pretty interesting. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, well, more Greg to come because he's high on my my first cut list for this re- redone uh, submission. So, uh, yeah, I mean, tons of great stuff. Like you said, we hit at least one show a day. And a lot of it's evergreen, so you can you can kind of build them up if you need to. You get a long ride, you can binge them, you can catch them as they drop. Uh, we do have some current stuff on Fridays specifically. Every other Friday we have AEW uh, podcast. You know what that means with Jordan and Reach. They do a great job, uh, like clockwork, churning out all the news and notes and uh, hot happenings in the world of All Elite. And then alternating with that on Fridays is the return of Clotheslines and Headlines 2.0. Ryan Gray and his cadre of misfits breaking down all the. Uh, information and and current news and uh happenings on tv in the world of dode and also touching on the indies as well so every friday you get your taste of current wrestling and then after every major pay-per-view we had it just now for SummerSlam. there's a viewer's choice uh usually it's tim and marcus marcus was off for SummerSlam, so tim brought in a couple of ringers and uh, that was a good listen as well breaking down the show so check it all out appreciate your support All right, let's head over to Raw, Chad, as uh, we are still trolling away here uh, in the final weeks before, I'm sorry, final week, I should say, before Buried Alive, right? This is our go-home show. Yeah, this is our go-home show, which usually is a uh, recipe for disaster, but Uh um, I'm going to go ahead and just kind of give my hot take up front here. Um, I talked about how I thought the segment of Nitro was my least favorite in a few months. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I believe this is my favorite episode of Monday Night Raw since uh, April. Oh, all right. Yeah. Interesting. I, I uh, shockingly really enjoyed this show. Okay. Well, yeah, it is in the death slot, the fourth of the I taping. I was not Hershey, expecting, so. not expecting right. much of anything. 
but uh, was very pleasantly surprised. All right, let's get to it. We get a good opening video, hyping, uh, hyping, hyping tonight, tonight's <laughs> big non-title match. Uh, Shawn Michaels' recent string of looking beatable as the wars have taken their toll. Steve Austin is smelling blood. Austin says tonight his ship, he will uh, whip Michaels' ass. And then we get our opening animation. We head right to the ring for our first match, and that is Vader taking on your boy, Phineas mm-hmm. Godwin. Vader comes out with Jim Cornette to get us going as Kevin Kelly and Jim Ross set up the night ahead. They hype up Sundays in your house. JR says the interview Mr. Perfect tonight as well, a week ahead of his big comeback match, which is next week on Raw. We see clips from last week when Vader beat up Sid, but Sid bounced up and laid him out. Phineas gets let out by Hillbilly Jim and the Critters, as Kevin says they were told by producers that next week Vince McMahon returns to host Raw alongside the King. So JR and Kevin will be out of the out of a job on Raw. JR goes in on that. He says only uh, says he and Kevin only get a phone call from Kevin Dunn, nothing in person. So they take shots at Kevin Dunn. They say Vince will be back. <laughs> Vader batters Phineas to get started. JR bashes Vince as his egos overcome him, and the deity of the WWF is back in their seat. JR says the bad news is he doesn't work for Kevin Dunn. He'll be here in Raw either way. And then he gets Kevin to admit that he and his wife are concerned about the news. Kevin says he doesn't agree with it, but he'll go along with it because he's a company man. JR <laughs> says he was a company man the last two times he was here, but he got fired both times. JR hypes up Vader getting a chance to face Shawn Michaels in Survivor Series if he could beat Sid. On Sunday, Kevin thinks tonight's main event is the biggest Raw match in history. Sid comes out and calls Vader fat boy as Vader stares at him, which allows Phineas to hit a clothesline and a back suplex. Phineas knocks Vader outside, and Cornette uh, should be horsewhipped if he loses here. JR and Kevin talk about Pettengill saying JR was prevented Cornette from being on Livewire, but JR says that was Cornette's choice to lead the broadcast. Just a lot of weird insider stuff here, a lot of news and rumors and odd things that probably don't connect to most of the audience with JR being kind of angry. Uh, Vader blocks a slap drop. He hits a running body block and finishes with the Vader bomb. Jared thinks Vader will be displeased with his manager if he loses on Sunday. So Jared's really going in on Cornette that this is a big match uh, to have Vader ready for. It was good to see Vader mauling someone. We've talked about that a lot, how he's been presented. He's been a little bit stronger lately. Even the brief Godwin offense only because of Sid showing up. So we'll see where things go. Sunday went two stars for our opener here. Two stars for me. Um, yeah, I mean, Phineas gets beat up. I enjoy that. Uh, this, this to me was the type of enhancement you need. Like this should have been the way Bader was presented all along. Like he looks vicious. Mm-hmm. He slams Phineas's head on the table. Uh, ends up winning with the Vader bomb uh, very effectively. Again, like you said, like the only reason Phineas takes over for a bit is Sid comes out yelling that he's from Arkansas too. Which is a, <laughs> I don't know if that's necessarily much of a brag, but there you have it. Um, the stuff on commentary. It's it's definitely inside baseball, but um, I thought they did at least a good enough job here, Jr. In saying like, okay, we got a call from this producer Kevin Dunn saying we're not going to be here next week, so right. I don't work for Kevin. Like he explained kind of who the principals were. Like if he just started mm-hmm. talking about Kevin Dunn and done stuff like that, then. I, it, I think it had been a little overbearing. I mean, it was it was still very like treading the line, um, right? But uh, but I, I kind of liked it, and yeah, I mean, I I I'm actually excited to see Sid versus Vader at Buried Alive. Mm-hmm. I remember them both in this match and the Royal Rumble match. I think um, being pretty entertaining. So. Do they have a match at Royal Rumble? Don't they fight again on no. the paper? No, Canadian Stampede, right? 
Nope. They fight. I don't think they fight they again on pay-per-view. Oh, they don't? Okay. Well, blank that. I do remember this match being pretty fine. So, we'll see if that holds up. All right. We get a ad for the Survivor Series weekend coming to New York. We get the Hall of Fame on Saturday and Survivor Series on Sunday. And, of course, we've talked about that as well. That coincides with November to Remember weekend. So, big weekend of wrestling history coming up in November. Jim Ross in the ring. He brings out Mr. Perfect for a chat. Kevin hypes up the big return, says he's been training. He even had a face-off with Steve Austin on Superstars, where he's got the juices flowing. JR talks about Perfect stealing Hunter's women. And next week, we get the big return match and match uh, battle against Hunter Helmsley. JR asks what kind of condition Perfect is in. He says... He asks uh, JR if he sees any flaws in him. He says he is the guy that never backs down or complains. Hunter wanted the challenge, and Perfect will be there live to do what he does best, get the job done. JR asks what the ring rust, but Perfect hand waves it and says he's flawless. He's waited a long time to get back in the ring, and all these young guys with their wacky hairdos will see what's up. He then does a uh, jogger on the ring and leaps over the top rope to show that he's in good shape. So pretty good fire from Perfect. He's ready. I like that jump over the rope. Kevin says Mr. Perfect's buddy Wade Boggs is a vast of the World Series as well. So get that little comment there. The Yankees are headed to face the Braves. Um, and that wraps us up. So I thought it was a pretty good segment. I thought Perfect did a good job. Kind of a final hard sell for his match next week. Yeah, they're still really presenting that. So I don't know when that goes awry or what happens to that, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, perfect saying he's never had a calf. <laughs> it's a funny defense to show he's perfect, I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, all right, that's, that's as much of a brag. Some some weird brags coming out of the uh, out of the arena tonight. Between that and Sid being from Arkansas, um, yeah, this was fine. I mean, pretty good height. We get the ad for the Big Bang Boom tour. Big Bang Boom tour uh, coming <laughs> to Indianapolis, Fort Wayne, Cincinnati, Evansville, Springfield, Chicago, St. Louis, and Cape Girardeau. Yeah, a lot of. <laughs> a lot of Midwest. spots they're hitting there. So yeah, that's uh and and weirdly, I mean Evansville and Springfield aren't that big of towns, but mm-hmm. like the fact that they're all taping against in Fort Wayne, Indiana, right. kind of a little strange that you hear like they're also gonna be at Rosemont and St. Louis and Cincinnati even. So it's like they don't want to do raw in the big buildings. I don't know why. Nope. They like prefer to do the house shows in the in the big buildings. It's weird. They were drawing good houses with the house shows if we talked about two. Maybe they thought like business. those are just more maybe at this point they still think those are like more desirable cards because you're getting like name matches. Yeah. Whereas on no, raw, you're still getting a mismatch and it's a long night. Yeah. I still think by this point they're I mean, by this point, as far as, like, revenue streams, they're seeing house shows and pay-per-views as the two before Raw, so. Or any other. Yeah, and I think it's, I I would think, like, maybe they figure a town that's not as high-profile may be more likely to um, be willing to sit through a four-hour taping with a bunch of matches that may not matter and promos and stuff, whereas you want your big shows to, to be the big matches. Yeah. I'll be interested when that switches, like that raw becomes kind of the premiere and you don't see, you know, I, I would say the 97, I, I think, I think yeah. once raw goes to the, the bigger look and presentation and all that, and then okay. we get out of the tape cycle and all that, I think it's probably when it switch shifts. Right. Uh, all right. Back to the ring we go for one of our longer running feuds in 1996 is Jake the Snake Roberts takes on Jerry the King Lawler. 
JR asked uh, Kevin if he thinks King had something to do with the reassignment as he saunters out to the big blow-off match. We get an ad for the Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, and Undertaker denim jackets. You can't have too much denim, as we learned earlier. Yeah, a lot, uh, a lot of denim. It's $49 plus $7 shipping and handling. <laughs> don't don't, so, don't wear that around. De- well, uh, if Austin would have had one, that would have been interesting because Deborah would have been attracted true. to that. But yeah. If you had to pick one of the ones, the WCW denim shirt or the denim uh, jacket. I mean, I, I I think I'd have to go WCW denim just because it's not as, you know, like these are just so gaudy with the guy's picture plastered on your back. Like it's not a great look. The, the fashion overall tonight was not very good. Like sometimes... Yeah, uh, Charles, I think, talked about this on Twitter a couple of days ago. Like, you know, from like 2003 on, like we're kind of in this weird spot where stuff kind of looks about the same, or at least when like stuff's in the HD era. Like now right. that you're in the HD era of the uh, WWE pay-per-views on Place to Be, like you know, you could get by saying like, oh, this is from 2015, mm-hmm. or is it 2008, or is it 2020? You know, it's not too bad. The fashion on both shows tonight between Larry's shirt, Teddy Long's green jacket, perfect weird suit, and then all this denim being shield. We're definitely in a different era as far as fashion's concerned in the oh, yeah. 90s here. Very much so. Yeah. All right. King is roasting Jake and the fans as we come back from a break. JR says <laughs> the King hasn't analyzed the hold in 20 years and Vince doesn't know the name of the hold. So he'll be having to carry the broadcast on Sunday. Kevin doesn't believe Jake is off the wagon as JR talks about Jake Plummer rallying Arizona State against UCLA this weekend. Do you remember that game? No. No. Uh, Jake finally comes out, but he's stumbling and he's wobbling and he's carrying a bottle and a bag. JR says he looks like Brett Butler and Kelsey Grammer and he was drop kicked off the wagon. (laughs) Kevin's feeling very somber over this revelation. Kevin doesn't think Jake can compete. He barely gets the sack in the ring. King is roasting him. Jake argues with the ref as Kevin talks about Jake's struggles. Gorilla Monsoon comes out and talks to Jake, who, with his back toward the King list, the president, the ref, and all of us in TV land know that uh, he is faking it. He's sober. He's messing with the King. He lets us all in on the joke and the ruse. After break, King is still ranting. He charges and walks right into a boot in DDT. And we are done as Kevin, one of my favorite Kevin lines. Jake Roberts is not drunk. Jake pours booze on the King and then chucks revelations on him. I this is well done. Jake finally gets one over on the King to put a bow on the feud. King has really, uh, you know, owned the feud between the two of them for the most part. So Jake finally pulls one over on him, pays off. I think it's better than the match would have been if they just went straight match. So I gave him a star and I uh, enjoyed the the way that this played out. That was a well done little angle. And I'm glad they didn't drag it out. This kind of got right into it. And uh, Kevin's excitement over Jake not being drunk really emphasizes everything. <laughs> Yeah, this, I mean, as a feud ender, I thought this was great. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, this is something we've been waiting on that we talked about, like, the tastefulness of the angle. But even beyond that, like, King seemingly getting one over on Jake at most points has yep. been also disappointing. Um, so him, you know, completely getting duped here uh, was very strong. Uh when Lawler was railing on him, they cut the two ladies in the uh, crowd that were absolutely eating it up. Uh, probably too old for the King, but um, maybe some potential there because they were <laughs> laughing uproariously at Jerry's jokes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, everything here, like Jake's performance was good. Um, 
him kind of giving the I'm okay, I promise to Gorilla was funny. Yep. And then uh, King completely eats the DVT. Jake gets revenge, puts whiskey on it, puts revelation on him. Everything was good here. I went two and a half. I mean, you know, tough, tough match to rank because it's a segment, but I thought this was very effective. And I kind of looked at it from a war standpoint. Like I wouldn't want to necessarily criticize the match right. uh, for what it was because I thought it was effective. <laughs> Sorry. I've had a lot of hiccup battles today. Um, <laughs> Are you drunk or do you need to? Uh, <laughs> AT me? is not drunk. <laughs> it was uh, it was a well done angle. I was probably harsh on the one, but it was more of a segment than a match, I guess. Yeah, I mean, like as far as a match, it's one move. So, it, you know, those are always tough to rank. Uh, Aaron probably give us five stars. <laughs> I digress. We get our next installment in the real Double J saga is Jesse Jane. James narrates us. You're gonna have to bear with the backup. <laughs> narrates us through the way things went down at in your house too. Double J told him he was leaving, and Jesse could go with him or stay. Todd narrates and say Jesse had no chance but to, to go with him because Jared had promised to take him out of a dive bar to see the world. Todd says Double J conned Jesse to fake the song. We get clips of Jesse really singing the song with Jim Johnston. Jesse says the road Jared took him down to unemployment took him from nowhere and left him for nowhere. Todd says Jesse and Johnston are re-releasing the song in a brand new album. Jesse says the song is too good to shelve, and Todd says there's rumors of a duet with a major country star. Next week, we get more, including a story about Desert Storm. And as silly as this is, like, I think there is some decent character building in here. It's more depth than we usually get from someone like this. Um, but it's just, uh, there's a big chunk of it that's goofy. If they shelved it and didn't say they're releasing an, al- an album and all this and used it to say, look... I was a former vet. I was down on my luck. This guy took advantage of me, but I'm here to prove I could do it on my own. It probably would have been a little bit better. Yeah, I'm still not too uh, too enthusiastic about any of this. Um, you know, him saying, again, I think just because like his main vendetta now is with somebody that's debuted on the other show. So he, he feels like this very like, disgruntled person that had a year now to kind of stew you know it's the same thing like he's had a year to kind of stew this over and didn't take his opportunity and now it's just like well it's too late now buddy um yeah so talking about re-releasing with my baby tonight i don't i don't know what that'll accomplish um jim johnson assures us that we'll be amazed by the range of jesse james so that remains to be seen uh, the duet with the major country star? I don't, I don't, I don't remember that. Yeah, I, I, I don't, don't remember I, that. So I don't, we'll I don't think they did one. I don't think oh, they did okay. one. <laughs> okay. I don't know if the so. album might have been. Um, I think Full Metal comes out like shortly after this. So, and I think uh, that song's on Full Metal. So that might be the album that they end up doing. They do make it sound like he's going to have his own album, though. Yeah, uh, for sure. But I don't. Yeah. So Full Metal came out. Uh, actually, this says it came out '95. Why not? I thought it was before that. Oh no, it says right here, September, no, October '95. Reissued outside in September. Oh, Why I think it was '96 that album. Anyway, I thought that's yeah, it is on here, but I guess it was still under Jarrett. So yeah, I guess they are talking about doing their own album. So whatever. Odd. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right, so that's that. Move along back into the ring as our friend Freddie Joe Floyd is on the scene to take on Hunter Hurst Helmsley. 
Hunter saunters out with his dime of the week as Kevin hypes the newest magazine. Kevin says it'll also be a shame they won't be at ringside for the big match next week. But Jarrah says he'll be there. He's a VP. Expects things a certain way. <laughs> Doesn't answer to any executive producers, and he shits on it being done via phone. Jarrah says he wants to ask Vince why he's allowing a non-sanctioned match to go on, and it's hideous to be associated with this. Hunter cuffs his girl to the, hand, the post, and Jarrah says his focus is splitting the women, and it's holding him back. Hunter throws Freddie Joe to start. Kevin asks Jarrah if he should be worried about losing his job. Freddie Joe goes to a side headlock. Jarrah tells Kevin to keep renting in that overpriced hellhole of Connecticut. Don't buy. Says KK will be popular in Zimbabwe and other countries that he does the voiceover for. Just on, on fire tonight. Hunter slugs away and kicks away in the corner as we get more Mr. Perfect talk. Hunter gets a swinging neckbreaker and a suplex. Perfect comes out to watch. He flirts with the girl. Floyd mounts a comeback, but Hunter fends him off and argues with Perfect. Perfect reveals he's got a key that he borrowed from a security guard, and he frees the girl as Hunter hits the pedigree, but he gets up at two. Hunter goes and grabs Perfect, but Perfect punches him, and Hunter gets counted out, giving Freddie Joe the win. Mainly a squash until the storyline kicked in. It's all geared toward hyping Perfect and Hunter on Raw, of course, and uh, more hard luck stuff for Hunter. Freddie Joe's underused, but he never had a chance in this Uh you know, he won't be here much longer. Of course, he'll pop up soon in ECW. But yeah. uh, this had potential if they let him work a bit. But as is, it's just all storyline. We're we're really going hard. I mean, we're kind of bypassing some of the build for Buried Alive and really going hard on hyping this for next week. And we've spent a lot of time tonight on Perfect and Home. Yeah, this is the second time they've done that because last time into the build to uh, Mind Games, they were talking about the IC Tournament final. Uh, mm-hmm. Raw after, so uh, they they like doing that. As far as a match, though, I mean, this wasn't much, but I thought it was pretty feisty for what it was. Uh, yeah, I, I like the way Floyd bumps and stuff, so I, I gave it two stars. I thought it was a good enhancer type match again. Yeah, same. Um, and uh, and I like that uh, you know uh, Triple H or Hunter is uh, handcuffing the woman to the. The uh, yes. turnbuckle, so that was a little bit of kink there, uh, which was kind of <laughs> fun to fun to see. Uh, uh, Hunter, I thought had good punches in this match, like looked really good and uh, really stiff on Freddie Joe. And then the the uh, the finish with Perfect coming out and locking her, and off they go. That was a you know fun finish and putting the key back in the security guard. Uh, I, uh, a kind of little uh, level of detail that, you know, would have been easy to forget, you know, just like, oh, he got the key from somewhere. They actually go the extra step and showing that, okay, he got it from the security guard. So he outsmarted Hunter here. Um, sh- shockingly, like, uh, Hunter gets the pedigree and Freddie mm-hmm. kicks out, which I couldn't believe. Um, and it's not like he's like distracted by perfect. Like he hits it, pins, right. and it gets to. I was like, oh, okay. I feel like they kind of fucked so up. Like weird. he was supposed to get up maybe with perfect, and it maybe the yeah. It felt like I, I was wondering about that because it it did feel very strange. Um, that that. Be so it, it probably. Uh, so he also gets socked right into the gold dust from last week. So that's, uh, you know, we're not alive, pal. So you can definitely tell that. So I don't know. Overall, I thought this was effective. And again, like Hunter versus perfect has been very built up. So I'm, um, I'm interested to see what they end up doing with that. So we'll see. 
And I don't mind the hype for the Raw because it is like their only shot at a live Raw where they could be unpredictable. So yep. hyping it the week before makes sense as long as they don't do it at the expense of the pay-per-view. And these two, they haven't quite. They've they've kind of done it. And especially because these pay-per-views are short anyway. Like there's only five matches on them. You're only hyping a few. So I think there's room to push for it. Uh, and they know like this is our one chance to really maybe try and pop a big rating before like spoilers leak out and stuff. So Right. All right, Steve Austin's backstage. So Bret Hart was a man enough to face him later. So tonight he'll whip the man and whip Bret's ass. Standard Austin stuff. We get the PlayStation Slam of the Week. It's the Godwins hitting the slop drop on the British Bulldog as the Godwins defeated British Bulldog and Owen Hart in a non-title match on Superstars. Interesting approach there as they head into Barrett Alive. We get a promo hyping Mr. Perfect's return next week. And then we get Sonny coming out to the ring to stripper music to introduce the newest, hottest, sexiest thing in the WWF. And she unveils a giant poster from the ceiling of herself. Jarrah's pissed. He says, we're wasting time. This has nothing to do with athletics. And calls her dumb. Um, and then we get Mankind and Paul Barra in the rainy graveyard giving their final warning for Sunday. So, any thoughts on any of that stuff? No, these were kind of very, like, rapid fire type of stuff. Um, all were fine. Um, Sonny feels a bit lost, as we talked about, like, Mm-hmm. You know, the stuff with Root didn't work, but her kind of unveiling the picture of herself is like, whatever. Okay. Um, so so that that was a little weird. Uh, the stuff with um, the final build to Buried Alive, like we talked about, like this, this is a little bit pretty, I mean, this is okay. Um, and I think as far as like if you go into the pay-per-view like for a free-for-all perspective if you just showed like okay here was the hype for this match it's it's fine to show but yeah you're really selling this pay-per-view based on the feud up to this point you know not from anything from mind games to here um there just hasn't been a whole lot there so that's the way it is all right, back to the ring as Farouk is here to take on the Pug, Alex Porto. Mm-hmm. Pug is using the Steiner Brothers theme. Uh, Sonny joins commentary, snuggles up to Kevin, who tries not to be flustered. And out comes Farouk in a final warm-up for Sunday. Kevin says Sonny and Farouk had an amicable split. And Sonny says they parted on very good terms, and she still helps him from time to time. And he has lots of friends that she helps. Farouk slugs away as Jared talks up Farouk and says he believes he'll win the IC title on Sunday from Mark Merrow. JR says Farouk's headgear is embarrassing, and if Vince is such a marketing genius, why put this outfit on a three-time All-American? <laughs> and he thinks that's what motivates Farouk. Farouk gives hammering away, and Sonny wants to keep her strategy a secret. Farouk hits a spine buster, clubs away some more, and then finishes with the tiger bite per Kevin. Uh, squash shitty, nothing going on. Just hype for Farouk's pay-per-view match. I want half a star. Uh, JR, again, is really just all in right now on exposing everything and burying everything. Um, and I, I think this is actually a good one, though, because I believe the fruit change is coming soon and he does take umbrage to this. So it's a little bit of foreshadowing that we're kind of done with this ridiculous look. Right. I want to have a start, too. I mean, it's a straight squash for Farouk. Um, what was what it was. Uh, the headgear line was highlight. Sunny having her arm uh, like hung around Kevin was funny to see his reaction to that. He looked very uncomfortable. Uh, with Sonny having his arm wrapped around her. Um, oh, I, overall, it's it's still weird. I mean, Farouk and Sonny, it's it's a weird dynamic. Like, it's 
I don't know. Like, I, I like that they're showing that it was amicable. Like, you just don't see that in wrestling, though. <laughs> like, like, this is one of the odd situations where they did have a split and it was mm-hmm. amicable. Like, I can't even think of another one off the top of my head. It's, it's well, very... they looked at it. I'm guessing they had a new plan for Farouk in mind already because it comes soon. Right. And you're not going to turn sunny face. You're not going to have her turn on Farouk. I guess they could have just ghosted it and just like have him show up in the new thing without her. But mm-hmm. I actually like this minute to just say like, hey, you know what? It wasn't quite working. Farouk's going one way. I'm going another. We're still friends. I'm here to help him if he needs it. Like, yeah, it was it was a cool approach that we don't get a lot of. Yeah, it feels very different. Tiger bite is a name of a finisher. Doesn't quite have much bite to it. Uh, no pun no, intended. I'm guessing that'll be gone soon is my guess. Right. All right, we get clips from Livewire when Farouk called in to talk to Ahmed Johnson and wished him well in his next <laughs> career. Ahmed puts over Farouk's credentials yeah. as a college athlete, but says that won't stop Ahmed from putting his foot in his ass. Ahmed says he isn't mad because Farouk woke him up and he has to watch his own back. Farouk says it's about winning. They have similar backgrounds and there's no rules in the, in the streets. It says they'll take out whoever he needs to, regardless of color. Ahmed says they have to sell their issues in and out of the ring to protect his reputation. Says he will come to Farouk's house if he needs to. Farouk calls Ahmed a half a man and he hopes his other kidney's still in good shape. And Ahmed <laughs> wants the call ended. Uh, I thought this was great. This felt oh, real. Yeah. It felt like Farouk, <clears throat> the Ron Simmons that I loved in ECW with the yep. promos, uh, came out here where you could tell he's probably just annoyed with the stupid gimmick and they're finally letting him loose a little bit. You can feel that we're starting to get some edginess creeping into the product too. We'll get more of it over the next two months, but that's coming in here. And this just feels like a real feud. I mean, Fruit put this guy on the shelf. He was at the peak of his career. It was a real injury that he took him out with. So you can actually like feel the anger kind of dripping from both of them. Uh, I, I this was great stuff. I thought I thought Farouk really crushed it. You could feel that he's palpably angry, and Ahmed also is pissed off. Yeah, great segment. I uh, had the same note that this felt like ECW. Ron um, really goes in on Ahmed. Ahmed's wearing this majestic blue leather jacket with AJ. Yes. I mean, just uh, uh, quite a quite a look. Like it's it's a great. I mean, this is a '96 look, but no, it's a classic. Still, still, no. still looks badass. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean the back and forth verbal. Like, I was I was ready to see him go. I mean they they went back and forth. It got personal. Uh, you felt the animosity. I thought Ahmed's. Uh, facial reactions, reacting to what Farouk was saying was very good. Very like, all right, you know, when I get back, you're in trouble, you know, all this. And then wanting it cut off, like, very strong, very strong uh, promo and angle. Pro- I mean, honestly, probably some of the best stuff we've seen in a few months. So, very good stuff. Hopefully, it's a hybrid of things to come. With Austin rising, Pillman getting airtime. Farouk being, you know, letting the reins be loosened a little bit. Like, maybe we're finally going to start getting some edge. The Jim Ross stuff it feels like we're starting to get a little bit edgier, perhaps. So, yeah. Undertaker's in the graveyard. He gives his final warning, similar to Mankind's, just kind of succinct and basic stuff. Yeah, this was, again, pretty basic, but it did have very ominous music. So, I thought this was mm-hmm. amplified a little bit. Like, and it had the, uh, the video package kind of interspersed in of like quick cuts of him, uh, like in black and white. So I, I, th- I enjoyed this more than the other stuff. Cause the one with man kind of like Paul bear has a black umbrella. It looked a little weird. Kind of looked like the penguin with the umbrella. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a little odd. All right. So we have our main event now, finally 
Shawn Michaels taking on Stone Cold Steve Austin in a non-title match. Kevin says Austin will be on Livewire Saturday. It's a big week for him. Starts here tonight. Stands focused, makes an awesome grimace face, and walks away when Sean's music hits. He struts out with Lothario. Sean's just, uh, I should say, Austin's just crushing the little things right now. Like that that sour face he puts on when the music hits is great. JR talks about Sean's grueling schedule. He thinks he needs better management due to the inhuman schedule. Vince McMahon and Gorilla Monsoon don't care about it. Those run him into the ground. Austin attacks first, but Sean dodges and clears out. We see Vader and Cornette watching backstage. Cornette talks shit on Sean. Says Vader will be in the title match of Survivor Series. Austin works a hammerlock. Him and Sean trade control of the hold and some strikes as well as Jared keeps ranting on Vince, not taking insurance for Baird Alive. Says uh, he will demand that Vince answer for it. We hear from Sid backstage as well as the match continues to ebb and flow through basic stuff. We keep going back and forth as Austin gets a Thez press, but Sean counters and teases Sweet Chin music, but Austin bails outside to avoid it. Jared is excited about the Atlanta Braves in the World Series, not for long, as Austin hits a stun gun, but he can't land the center. After a break, Sean is hammering away into control. Vader shows up, and we get a disqualification to end the match. Sean fights off both men, but gets overwhelmed. Salvio Vega comes out, but he gets decked. Sid is in. He batters Vader as Sean fights off Austin. And then we see Razor Ramona Diesel standing in the aisle observing what's going on as Austin uh, shoots Sean into Sid, and they argue. Interesting there, the two of them start fighting. Sean and Sid recover and clean house and chest bump to close things out. So as that match was good, we just didn't get much of it. Um, a lot of the focus is on the final hype for Barrett Alive, including the finish, which I think made sense, but it stinks because this is a rare big-time match on the show. And I actually think they should have opened the Raw with it and you do the squashes at the end to do the final hype. Um, you can still do the same ending, but maybe you can focus more and you're not wasting all the time on the hard sell uh, that you need to do at the end of the show. Instead, throw throw the pug in here at the end or whatever and and let it happen then. Um, definitely a very light appetizer, you know, that they'll be fighting again someday, I'm sure. Uh, and by design, this very odd Hershey taping closes. It was a month full of angry Jim Ross, Kevin Kelly, the hype for Mr. Perfect and Razor and Diesel as top guys, which is, is coming to an end as well. Uh, it's only two and a half stars for the match, I guess, disappointing in a way, but I don't think it was ever meant to be more given the way they went about it. So overall, they get a lot done, a lot accomplished, uh, and just closes out a very weird four weeks of raw. Yeah, I mean, this to me is kind of the equivalent of like late 1995. There was a Nitro that had Hogan versus Sustain. Right. You know, just as a random Nitro match. And now that becomes the biggest match in company history a couple of years later. And we know this will end up being one of the bigger matches in company history and a couple of years later. And they'll actually have another pay per view match before that. Um, but uh, th- these two together has always been a pairing. I feel like I'm higher on than most because I really like King of the Ring match and also like the Mania match a good bit. Mm-hmm. Like, have both have both ranked as uh, at least hovering around four stars. I mean, I enjoyed this. I th- I, th- I thought for what this was trying to do is effective. They kind of did hype this as like the most important Raw match up to the biggest Raw match up to this point, which was interesting promotion. I think definitely big promotion for Austin, too. Uh, but a lot, a lot of those small stuff here, like Austin working in the hammerlock and doing that, like, it was refreshing. I don't think we'd seen Sean work the mat that much because even, like, the great matches that Sean's had this year have been more brawl in nature or right. uh, were the Ironman match that had a lot of mat work, but the first portion of that match was so drawn out that you know i mean it could, it could get a little long uh the first 
30 minutes or so of that match. So uh, I like that both like look for a backslide at different points. Austin avoiding the sweet chin music by scooting to the outside was very good. Uh, yeah, Ross mentions like the Braves Cardinals game uh, and then CS that was going on that night. So still showing they're doing like the live to tape, mm-hmm. like uh, commentary or whatever. Uh, Austin gets in the stun gun and goes for the stunner, but uh, Michaels backs away. That was a good like tease as we head into our final break. Um, and then we get the kind of schmise finish, but I thought it was effective for the pay-per-view where Vader comes in, Michaels dies on him, fights on Bo. Savio Vega, we talked about this, kind of shows how weak the face side is from a degree, though, because Savio Vega kind of being your first face in. Um, pretty weak, but uh, luckily he kind of gets out of the way, and then you have Sid, and, and then, yeah, sets up a lot of stuff in the future with Sid and Sean kind of yapping each other and Sid saying, I'm sorry, before we have a big brawl to hand. And while that's going on, I thought Razor and Diesel out in the entranceway was a little out of place. Um, well, Vince taping, right? They still view them. Yeah, they did this all yeah, on night one is, after the that's debut. That's exactly so. what I was talking about. Like, I was about to say, like, I think in retrospect, if they hadn't have done the four weeks mm-hmm. uh, of taping in a row, that wouldn't have happened. But... Right. I think at this point, this was still night one. So they're they're envisioning that they're still kind of big deal and hot right on that night. So and I like that they didn't get involved. So that was good. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, overall, it's a two and a half star match, but I thought it was very uh, optimistic for what a future could hold for the promotion. Agreed. I just think we could have got more focus if they opened the show and they're not against opening with the big matches. They do that a lot. So I don't think it would have felt out of place to open that way and then build toward later your focus on things, but I also get wanted to try and keep people around because that's a big marquee match. So they wanted yeah. to keep the eyeballs on the show. All right, let's get to our awards uh, match of the night. I think is obviously Michaels uh, and Austin. Yeah. Moment. I went with the Ahmed Farouk live wire showdown. I thought that was I great. did the same. Yep. Same MVP. I gave it to perfect. Um, I thought he did a really good job in his promo. Then the stuff with Hunter after decking him and all that. And, it felt like they're doing a really good job building anticipation to see him next week. Yeah, I think this is an interesting show. There's a lot of candidates here. Um, I thought Vader looked good on this show. I thought Austin, you know, big role for him. Uh, he looked fine. Perfect's not bad. I, I ended up going with Farouk. Um, squash was effective. And then really loved what he brought to the Ahmed promo. So mm-hmm. I, I, I went Farouk. All right, any commentary? No, I just, I mean, it, it's just, it'll yeah, be interesting <laughs> next week. Yeah, I mean, Ross is right. all over the place. Like him name dropping Kevin Dunn. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it, was, it was a lot. It was a lot to take in. Uh, no shots fired, no debuts, no dropped angles. So I ended up going five and a half out of ten. Uh, I was The matches, again, are pretty standard. I, I think we did get some good hype for the pay-per-view for next week. It just still feels like we're not fully clicking in gear with some of the stuff but they're definitely making progress and i appreciate the harder edge we're getting on some of the stuff as well yeah so i'm i'm six and a half out of ten i have it tied with nitro for me i to me this was the first show like i've said in a while that i wasn't constantly checking right uh how much time was left i thought everything moved at a brisk pace 
everything made sense. Like the only segment that I could have done without here was the real Double J stuff, and that's at least mm-hmm. them kind of pushing a new commodity. Like even the squash match stuff here, like I mean, it squashes, but it's pushing people. Like Vader looks good. We've been asking for that. Uh, Triple H, you know, his stuff with Freddie Joe Foy, like he looked effective and good in that. And he was distracted by Perfect. That's setting up their match the next week. Farouk and his squash looks dominant. So everything here was presented the way it should be presented. And on top of that, you finally have some elevation to Austin where it clearly feels like now we talked about it. Like he's been calling out Brett. That's all well and good. But now he's been put in the main event on Raw that they're hyping up as one of the biggest main events they ever had on Raw. Like, he's not going to be, you know, at the very least, he's not going to be, you know, pre-show of SummerSlam with Vader or with the Yokozuna level. Like, they see something in him. It may be short-term. You know, I obviously don't think they thought they had what he come, turns out to be at this point but they're at least seeing okay let's let's give this kid a shot so that's good all right let's get to our combo awards and we'll wrap up uh i guess just based on total grades best show we're gonna go nitro but it's close close as it's been yeah yeah raw has not won this for us since jeez april 15th uh oh sorry may 27th May 27th, yeah. they won the night of the, the NWO. Right, Paul debut. Yeah, that's our big... And that's true. I mean, this, this I think, is the closest it's been since that. Yeah, for sure. Which is crazy. Wow. Yep. All right, best match. We're kind of all over the place. What do you think? Um, I don't know. Grade-wise, I think we're either going to be Hammer versus Luger or Faces of Fear versus Harlem Heat, probably. Pretty... I mean, we didn't get a good match. Really on either show. So. And we could go Austin Michaels if you want. I know we're both lower, but like a lot happened and it's kind of a big foreshadowing match. Like it actually meant more than the other matches, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm fine with that. Okay. I think just based on everything that happened, it's a uh, best segment. We're going to go with the Elizabeth video. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's actually kind of a sucky week for Farouk and Ahmed because I thought that right. was a very strong segment. But yeah, I'd go uh, Elizabeth video. All right, commentary. What do you think of this one? Um, you know, I thought JR's added a lot. It was entertaining. I thought him and Kevin did a good job pushing along the storyline of what they had going on, plus hyping Barrett alive. Uh, but that said, you know, Bischoff was very, you know, played a very heavy role with everything going on with Savage Elizabeth. Some of it, again, could be a little heavy handed, but um, plus the Jared digs are funny. Tony was pretty good in the opening. Larry was on point. He's always so good pushing the storyline as well. So I don't know. It's probably Nitro for me, I guess, but it's not super far off. Have we gave it to Raw in this iteration of uh, the commentary? 819. So that would have been the first Kevin JR. Yeah. Then I'd say we go Nitro probably, okay. but it's pretty close. I would say if we hadn't give it to him, we could kind of give it a nod to this team, but. Right. Yeah, yeah we did it the first night after SummerSlam. They uh Yeah. No, actually no, I'm sorry. Eight was eight nineteen, was that after SummerSlam? Yeah. It was the night after. Okay, then Nick, Kevin was on that one, right? So yeah, we gave it to them. Um and that's it. We're done with it. Kevin says farewell. <laughs> He'll be around but not on commentary. So we're back to Vince <laughs> yeah. and King. Yep. Uh Star of the Night. Again, we were kinda all over with this one. We had Elizabeth, we had uh Hogan, we had Farouk, we had uh what did I have? Uh, perfect 
So we, we're kind of, again, mishmash, but anything you want to make a strong case for? Yeah, I'd give an argument for Elizabeth just because I don't think she'll... She'll love it again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, I can I can get with that. All right, and then ratings winner Nitro, right? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, like, I like this role, and it was a bad rating. It was 1.8, which is... Oof. Let me look. That may be the it's worst rating. I think that's the worst rating they've ever gotten. Oh, yeah. Brutal. Yeah. We'll uh, see if they get a bounce next a week at all from Buried Alive, I guess. Yeah, they've had a couple. They had a 1.9 on the 9.25, which way back. 9.25 of 1995 was oh, 1.9. Well. They've had a couple of 2.1s. Uh, but, yeah, this is the lowest rating they've ever gotten. Um the ones around Christmas are abysmally low, but that's kind of to be expected. Right. Um, so as far as like regular raw ratings, if we take those two weeks out around Christmas, I think, let me double check, this will be the lowest raw rating, period. Which is kind of funny. I mean, that's just funny in retrospect. The Shawn Michaels versus <laughs> Austin. Austin, which was a match that was hype. Like, we knew it was right. coming. That literally gets the worst Raw rating. I think this taping has been so bland. And, like, I think Nitro's just been so hot with everything. It's just tough to, like, really sit here and, you know, I don't know. That's really crazy to think about. Like, besides the 1223 Raw and the 1230 Raw, this, this literally gets the worst rating of any Raw in the Monday Night Wars. And maybe a worse rating than any, uh, I mean, even, you know, Nitro was still getting, even as bad as it got, it was still getting like 2.3, 2.2s, stuff like that in right. uh, uh, early uh, fall 2000s, early 2001. Um, yeah, so so real quick, it's 1.8 for Raw, which was down from 2.1. Um, Nitro's down to a little bit. 3.3 which is down from a 3.5 let me see what the monday night football game was this night because that could also have an effect yeah all right big game on monday night football san francisco versus green bay so okay, steve yeah. young versus brett Favre went into overtime uh, overtime win, so yeah, Packers win in overtime. Uh, both teams were five and one, or four. The 49ers were four and one. The Packers were five and one heading into the game. So okay, yeah, that's a yeah. big one. That's a big one. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see if uh, you know it's kind of what's been said in the past, right? Is that the raw quality improved as the ratings even were going down? Because it takes a while to kind of be realizing that raw has gotten better dirty's product gets better by the time people realize it it's already been like months of dominance so we'll see if that starts to hold true or if this is just a temporary blip um and then we dip back down but yeah i will say next week you know they've been hyping the raw pretty heavy next week mm-hmm. rating next week's pretty interesting so keep that okay. in mind next show yep all right. Well, it'll be a live raw. But before that, in two weeks' time, we'll be covering In Your House Buried Alive. So another paper right. for us. 
we'll talk about the uh, Big Barrier Live match between Taker and Mankind. We got Sid and Vader. We got the uh, IC title match, tag title rematch. So lots going on in that show. And then, yes, a month from tonight, we'll be back with um, the uh, follow-up show to that, the Big Live Raw, and then the Go Home for Halloween Havoc. So mm-hmm. pretty big six weeks for us here. Then Halloween Havoc will follow that. So right. finally, these October pay-per-views. I think we've been hyping them for a while. Yeah, I mean, the build yeah. to Havoc's been so long. I mean, it feels like for us, I mean, we, it, you know, it was the beginning of summer when we recorded Fall Brawl. So it's kind of cool. All right. So until two weeks from now, when we talk Barry to Live, some other name pop. Talk to you soon.